Live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking sports locally and nationally. Join the conversation on our social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome back for another edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. I'm your host, Ken. I'm joining me in the studio, as always, is the co-host. It's Padawan J. Hello, hello, hello. And finally making his triumphant return from NBA All-Star Weekend, where he was hobnobbing with all the celebrities. He has graced us with his presence, returning to the ODPH studios. It is your coach. It is my coach. It is the coach, Coach Duffy. I'm glad to be back. I really wanted to start my first show back after a little break with some positivity. And then last night happened, and then this morning happened. Yeah, we have a lot to talk about in the land of sports. So let's waste no more time, shall we? OchoDuroParleyHour.com has all the links to our social media accounts. Now officially over 200 likes on our Facebook page. Our Twitter is well over the 2000s mark, and Instagram is around there too. So definitely join in there, sign up, like, subscribe. And use that hashtag ODPH to join in the conversation because let's get that sports talk going. We can't deny what happened. A lot of rumbling and shaking in New York last night. So, Coach, why don't you break down what is going on with the Knicks? Well, I mean, let's start with the positive, I guess. The Knicks had a thrilling victory last night over the Rockets, uh, led by R.J. Barrett, who had 27 points and what could have been the go-ahead winner. Um, had Julian uh, Julius Randle not hit a three throw to, to go back up one, um, thrilling game, compelling game. Knicks played great. They looked great offensively, defensively. They put the whole thing together. And you know, I I didn't know anything that was going on. And I go on Twitter, and I see that Spike Lee is trending. And I go, oh, I wonder what's going on. They didn't talk about him during the broadcast. I didn't see him. You know, standing up and riling up as, you know, the Knicks were doing their final defensive stand. And, oh, I mean, we forgot to mention, Leon Rose got named team president. I was just going to tie that in. Yeah, had a very nice press release. So, I mean, a lot of good positive vibes up until the Spike Lee thing going on on Twitter. Uh, Then all of a sudden, watch the video. And the video, if you go on Twitter, you'll see is uh, Spike Lee screaming at security guard about, uh, you know, this has been my entrance for the last 28 years. What do you mean? I can't go this way. Since when did it change? Arrest me. You know, you're Charles Oakleying me, blah, blah, blah. You know, just a lot of a lot of yelling. Uh, then, you know, I thought nothing of it. I thought, you know, I, I, I scroll down Twitter because at first I was rage mad. Yeah. I saw red. I was like, that's it. I'm done with the Knicks. But I, I calmly checked Twitter you know, scrolled down the feed a little bit, and then I saw he was still in attendance at the game. So I was like, all right, people, let's get the whole story simmered down. Let's not, you know, crush the Knicks just yet. Positive things are happening. Mm-hmm. And then this morning, the Knicks release a press release talking about how Spike Lee uh, was in the wrong here, how him and Dolan had uh, shook hands, and how this is being completely overblown, to then Spike Lee joining ESPN's first take and completely raging on the Knicks. And now I don't know what to think because hot take here, I think they're both in the wrong. And I think they're both petty as hell. That's just my take. 
Pat, uh, we can go into detail in a second, but go ahead. Everybody else, get your takes. Yeah, let's get Pat's take in on this one. I mean, you know, I've said it before. I've said it again. I'll say it again. The Knicks are the absolute biggest joke of the entire sporting All world. Right. I will include baseball, football, basketball, hockey, soccer, cricket, rugby, table tennis. I will even throw in the competitive cornhole you'll find on Sunday afternoon on ESPN2. Let's pump the brakes. They're the biggest joke, and it's not through the fault of anyone on the court. It's not through the fault of anyone in the training staff. No, that regard is held to the 2019 Yankees medical staff. You know, Soon to be 2020. Yeah. You know, it's not through any fault of anybody on the court or in the locker room or, you know, anybody working there nine to five or whatever would end up being for those folks. You know, it's not the fault of the ushers. It's not the fault of the concessions people. It's not the fault of the guy carrying popcorn, selling popcorn during the game. It's one man and one man alone. And that's the owner at the top, James Dolan. When you when you take one of the franchises most beloved and not just the franchise, but one of the NBA's most beloved players in Charles Oakley, and you escort him out of the garden in handcuffs and then bar him from ever returning to the game. When you have a fan voicing their opinion saying, hey, this, you know, you suck, sell the team, and you tell them, hey, why don't you enjoy the games from home? Get out. And now you have this whole nonsense with Spike Lee, which, you know, it's like the old saying goes, there's three sides to a story. There's his side, there's the other side, and then there's the truth. There's a lot going on with this that doesn't make a lot of sense. And and I don't, you know, I understand Spike's frustration with this, you know, given the number he gave this morning on, on first take. Oh, and you can find stupid. It, you know, he pays something like $300,000 a year for court, yeah, for courtside like season for tickets. For the, pro- the product that he sees on the court. You know, and the fact that he's been paying for tickets for, I believe they said it was 26 or 28 years. So adjusted for inflation, that's somewhere in the neighborhood of he's given the next $10 million over the last quarter century, which he, I got to appreciate the, the line. He said, he said, Oh God, don't tell my wife, yeah. you know, the fact that he's given $10 million to this team that let's be honest, they've sucked for a lot of those years. And then you kick him out of here like this over what a, a misunderstanding, a possible rule that was already a thing that just nobody bothered to enforce until maybe one day James Dolan. saw him going in that door. They're not supposed to go in there. Come on. This is petty as hell. Get over yourself. Well, Spike's being a little petty, too. but Oh, yeah, I agree. Okay. Well, going in with this recap of going in, like Coach was touching upon, too, this should have been a very positive way to oh. start the week for the Knicks. Couldn't believe the game. Couldn't, couldn't believe it. Couldn't Frank believe the Nilekina, game. clutch defensively down the stretch, stopping Russell Westbrook. It should have been twice because that was not a foul, mind you, NBA people. That was an absolute steal and a robbery by the refs. Go ahead. But to see that we're now going to have our new president in place, that Leon Rose was going to take over. We didn't get Urge from Toronto, so obviously fine. It was fine that yeah. you know he came in, and we know his track record. He's had history of being LeBron, a- LeBron James agent. A lot of successful players' agents. Yes, and he was the one that orchestrated the original move to Miami. Yep. So there's a lot of hope behind him coming. Not saying he's going to be the guy to turn it around. Well. But he does have enough of a pulse on this current age of NBA players to orchestrate some moves. And if I may, uh, I will say that you know we've seen this trend now of former um, player agents. managers yep. or agents, you know, joining uh, staff in the NBA. The Lakers did it. Uh, the uh, Warriors have done it. I believe uh, Houston has done it as well. well so I, so think, I think the current general manager of the New York Mets is a former agent, yes. if I'm not mistaken. So you've seen this trend in sports where agents are becoming, um, 
you know, uh, front team presidents, figures. front office figures. And I think for the Knicks and the fact that, you know, his uh, background is player first. Mm-hmm. And that is an image that the Knicks need to change. So I was at first, you know, all right, I won Iraji from yeah, Toronto. Irige. Obviously, Irige. Obviously, uh, the track record speaks for itself. But, you know, when you talk about the fact that you're getting uh, in an atmosphere that is as toxic as New York, and now you're talking about a guy who is player-friendly and player-friendly first, I'm all for it. No, I'm definitely for it, and he was saying the right things when he was talking about what he's got his ideas for the team. Sure, so, and I was fine with the press release. Yeah, the press, I liked the, it. The press release was fine. Surprised we didn't get a press conference. Whatever. I. But what I liked about it was that right now is not the time for him to speak because there's so much going on between an interim head coach and – uh, you know, obviously with whatever, with Steve Mills and Perry, whatever, that dynamic there. Um, so him being in the background almost saves face because what he doesn't have to face is, so what are you going to do this offseason? Are you going to keep on uh, Mike Sullivan? Are you going to fire him? Are you going to bring on new coaching? You know, so he doesn't have to deal with that. It's just, I'm here, I'm assessing, and we will go from there. Yes. Smart move. Oh, I thought it was very smart. And especially this season is a wash. Right. We, we've said this numerous times on this show that it's now a wash at this point. So we have to start thinking, okay, the management on the team has to start evaluating what they have on the team right now, closing out the season, who's going to stay, who's going to go. And Rose is going to have an uphill battle. There's no question about that. And last night's game was an inspiring win for the Knicks of the Rockets' already playoff Bound team, no Hell question. Yeah, and they that. just beat the Knicks by thirty, you know, yeah. a week ago. So to see them bounce back, have that huge win, a lot of positivity. And then we hear about this report and seeing that he was uh, Spike Lee was on ESPN First Take, and his initial reaction is he was disputing the press release that was sent out by the Knicks explaining said incident. Now, well, and it was already getting out of control during the game. Like coach Coach said, it was trending on Twitter while he's still at the game. Right, he said on first take this morning that Charles Oakley called him while he was in the middle of the game. Reggie Miller called him while he was in the middle of the game. Going, yo, what is going on here? Exactly. So the power of social media definitely was in full swing sure. there because the incident got leaked out, and obviously there was the footage that we, if you saw a first take this morning, we saw in the elevator. You could hear him screaming. You're, you're gonna do me like you did, Charles Oakley, paraphrasing right. a little bit. And the overall assessment is that he could not go in the entranceway he's used for the past 28 years right. out of nowhere. Listen. Which, that's, that's what he said. That's right, what he right. Said. That's what he said. So, and the Now re- there's a he said, she said, because in the Knicks press release, it said that they had, uh, Dolan had <laughs> approached him, which Spike said that they didn't shake hands, but there's, which was the ultimate petty move by the Knicks of posting the picture of Dolan and Spike shaking hands. So I'm looking at it right now. Super petty, but there's the picture. So clearly they did shake hands. Mm-hmm. Allegedly, you know, allegedly Dolan had said that there was a misunderstanding. They had changed the uh, rules for the entrance. Okay. Well, the, the two-part pettiness, uh, that picture, and then the picture of the supposed entrance he'd been using for 28 <laughs> years. Yeah. Where it's, you know, so it's the generic photo you see a lot of times with press releases from the team or a person where it's this generic-looking photo with the team logo. Right. And the, the headline, yada, yada, yeah. and then the paragraph. Very next photo, uh, the number eight Penn Plaza, entrance for employees, media, and patrons with disabilities only. Which they just want to explain the situation, but it definitely stepped up the pettiness oh, of, of the whole sure. thing. Oh, for sure. Which is overall where this is going, because now it's uh, he said, he said, 
and trying to figure out what caused the action. And it just sucks. Oh, it does. But it, this has been the state of the Knicks now for how long? Just can't. 30 years. Two steps. Uh, it's always two steps forward, one step back with this right. team right now. I mean, they, they you know, Leon wrote like two weeks ago. Leon Rose is going to get named president, mm-hmm. and they have uh, the media relation guy who was hired uh, that actually helped turn around Brooklyn, yep. you know, in their media relations, and he comes out and just says the most egregious things on first take two weeks ago. So it was like already, you know, there's a bad taste in the mouth with Knicks fans. Then everybody's killing him for the Leon Rose thing. Oh, you know, of course you're not going to get the guy that you want. You're going to settle for second, even though I really think Leon Rose was – the number one the entire time because they didn't want to give up the assets in the first round picks. No. Um, and now this. Well, this is just so hard hitting, I guess, is, this is, is the word. Ju- this is just classic Knicks because you got Leon Rose and they're trying to, you know, oh, we're changing the culture. We're no, no, changing no, no, no. the image. And then you go and pull this shit. No, no, because it's hard hitting about what's happening with Spike. And this is just the fixtures of fans that are at every game. Right. Charles Oakley, heart and soul of the team. You have Spike Lee, number one fan, no question about that. Right. Nobody loves the Knicks more than Spike. To see how they're getting treated, and it all results back to Dolan, which, I mean, I do agree with one thing Spike did say during this whole uh, first take interview. The the team is for the people. Right. It's it's not, you know, going against the team. He's still a Knicks fan, but the disagreement is straight up with Dolan and how Dolan is running things. And if they did make the change to the policy, for whatever reason, right? Don't know how they went about this. Right is is it's is way over the line in my opinion. I just think that there's literally no way to win win because all right, if you let you know if you make that exception for Spike that one time, then somebody else is going to do it, and then it becomes a whole huxtabaloo. Because I mean, at the end of the day. Security is a big deal in today's age. Oh, absolutely. This oh, yeah. isn't the same yeah. you know, day and age that it was when Spike started using that entrance 20 years ago. Oh, sure. And I respect the hell out of the fact that he's never big-timed it and been like, you know, I'm Spike Lee and the you know front and center celebrity row and all that stuff. He's been going to the same seats for the last 26 years, and I respect the hell out of him. But at the end of the day, I mean, policies are policies. There was a miscommunication, and... You know, I, I'm not mad at him for going on first take and saying the things that he said because, I mean, I'm sure a lot of Knicks fans felt what he was saying and the mm. frustrations, but at the same time, it's like, you know, you are just a fan. Oh, you know, he, yeah, he, the, he, the whole thing from top to bottom was mishandled. Yeah. I, I think if, if it could have been handled a lot better, obviously, given that if, okay, policy changed. You know, obviously Spike didn't know it. He still used the same entrance he'd been using for 20 years. What security should have done, and I'm, we don't know what they said or what was said. You know, we've got Spike's story, but like we said, two, three sides to every story. You know, what they should have done is said, hey, we're going to let you use this tonight, but just to give you a heads up, there was a policy change. Yeah. You can't use this door anymore, so we're going to let you use it tonight, but going forward, you're going to have to use this entrance on whatever street. And, you know, hey, we really apologize. We should have called you, but there was a miscommunication someplace. There's either that or they escort him through the other doors to wherever he needs to go because the one issue he mentioned is they wanted him to leave the building after he already got his ticket checked right to go in now we've all been to sporting events oh yeah once you leave you you don't you can't come back in right so i understand that aspect that if if you're going to do it like that but at the same token he's been there for how long sure they how they handled it 
was wrong in my opinion. Right. They also should not have put out a statement last night after the hullabaloo on uh, social 1, media. One thousand percent. Like you realize there's an issue. Call up Spike. Squash the beat. Like I'm not saying now. Like this is what should have happened last night. You should have handled it better. And no, and the whole security telling him about the door thing. However, they handled it because if you got him screaming about Charles Oakley, clearly they didn't explain it in a polite manner. One thousand percent. Two because this is the thing Spike said on first take. He said I was going to let it lie. Mm-hmm. I wasn't going to say a thing. Right. I was just going to let it be. And then my son read the statement that the Knicks put out on uh, out last night. They shouldn't have put a statement. Right. Out. They got in their own way. Yeah, they, they didn't. Classic Nick. They got in their own way, and I mean, they had to win the argument. Right, exactly. D- Dolan's mo. I need to get the last word. But this is where I think this is going to come back to haunt him. Oh my God, yes. The now come on. the the PR nightmare that is going to happen and still grow too. By the way, this is not going away in no, a day. Especially no, especially with Spike not being there. So now those seats are going to be empty. No, because you uh, know he ain't selling them. No, I think he did. No, no, he said he's not going the rest of this year. Yeah, right. So this I year, no, I think I think he said he gave it to somebody though. Well, who knows? Yeah, but the fact that he's not there is the real telling sign of the state of the Knicks. Well, that, like, can, okay. you, can you imagine if this happened to like Jack at a Lakers game? No, right. Well, they brought that up on first yeah. day too. But I mean, listen, it's just it's not it's not the same circumstances because I mean the worst thing that happened to this was the video got leaked. Yeah, that was yeah. the worst that came of this because had it just not gotten leaked, then none of this probably would have happened. I'm sure probably Spike would have talked to a friend and a friend would have told another friend and then eventually it would have gotten released. Oh, it got but released. This would but have this... been months down the line by the time it made media news, you know? Right. But the fact that it was posted on social media out of context and the initial reaction of people just saying Spike was thrown out of the garden without people actually researching and looking is what really created this venomous negativity. But the problem is it's already been there because of how Oakley was done. Right, and, and exactly. And that's but, this is just more gas on that fire. The, that's the other problem, though, too, because I don't – I mean, again, we don't know what the security guards were saying because we could only really hear Spike. But they weren't doing you like Oakley. Mm-hmm. They were just trying to do their jobs. And that is not fair of you because these people, at the end of the day – are not you. They don't have $10 million to throw at the Knicks, and they're there working their job. And if their job is, listen, sir, we're not allowed to let you through here anymore because of policy change, it's not fair for you to blow up in their faces when they there's nothing they can do. So they're working their job where they got to give up a lot basically every evening for like 41 nights a year. Exactly. Oh, to get which trashed on. Sucks. Yeah, no, security work is an off, is so, a very awful environment to be in because it's a very tough job to deal with a public that is sometimes not agreeable. <laughs> yeah, I with mean, it. especially the garden crowd, city, you know. The, any big city. Yeah, any big city. Philly. They're, Philly, yeah. They're known for their brashness and, and their uh, crass, you know, and just being blunt. And mm-hmm. I understand Spike's frustration. Like, I don't want to sit here and sound like a Dolan synthesizer because, I mean, at the end of the day, I despise the man as a human. I'm just saying, like, I I think that his take should have been something of, I need to remove myself from this situation. You know, I am very disappointed in this organization for how I was treated last night. It's not fair. I've never done this, this, and this. I've never asked for anything. You know, something to that effect. But instead, to put everything on blast and then create this narrative of you being the victim is well, not fair. Well, that's where I think there's more to this than we know about. Right. Because I know that in that interview, I believe they were saying something about he wasn't allowed to use a certain parking area. If I'm not mistaken, 
that it was something like he this something has been in happened a month ago. Right. There was that, a, it was a ramp. He he said yeah. he said when he would enter the the employee entrance, he'd walk up a circular ramp and have to go up to the fifth floor. But like a month ago, they just out of the blue said, "Oh, you can't use that now." Yeah. So that's when that got said. Something tipped off that there there's more to this than we know about. Right. But for Spike being such a public persona for the Knicks to say something. This is not the best look for right. the Knicks, and that, and especially and trying to repair a PR image that is very vastly damaged. And that's the that's the other problem that this lies in because obviously he's beloved by the players. I mm-hmm. mean, it's very apparent that the treatment of Charles Oakley turned a lot of the today's players off towards even signing with the Knicks. Oh yeah, you know, and I know uh, what they're trying to build right now through RJ, you know, and him being so proud to be a Nick and so happy. It's like, you know that on a young player can wear on him. Damn it, Pat, don't die. And, you know, can wear on a young man. And, you know, he sees this, and, I mean, he's going to be a free agent in three more years, you know. So it's like if you're not going to put talent around him, don't be surprised if he's not there at the end of that third year after you exercise your – you know, I know that he's a restricted. He'll be a restricted free agent, but I mean, you still, you know, you're going to have to match max contract. If he ain't willing to do it, he's going to walk. I just – it just sucks because it was such a positive ending to last night's game that this is again, you know, and I mean, I'm just so lost right now because like I have accepted, you know, it's always been this, oh, you know, after Knicks, I'm done with their shit. And last night I didn't do that because I, I actually took time to research shit, which was impressive by me because I am so quick to pull the trigger and be like, I'm done with them. Mm. But I've, I've come, to, I've separated the Knicks from Dolan. The Knicks and Dolan are not two of the same entities anymore. Like, I love, like, and Spike said this, I love the Knicks. I am done with Dolan. And he's on the other side of that, on the the line there for me. So I will continue to support this team because I've loved this team since I was a little kid and I got John Stark's jersey as my first jersey that I got, even though I wanted a Ewing jersey. I will always love this team, but I will never, ever, ever say a kind thing about Dolan other than he is a human piece of garbage. Dolan, Dolan has definitely made himself to be the bad guy in the situation. He always is, though. That's the problem. But that Exactly. That's the problem. He hasn't changed that image, and whatever he's going to do with this moving forward is only going to worsen things because this is now just a matter of who is the quote-unquote king of the situation. I mean, literally all you need to do as an owner is just sit back, enjoy your team, and watch the profits rolling. Let's say you, rub some elbows. You have the most profitable team in all of America sports. They, I mean, they were number one the last time I checked. They are hugely profitable. Yeah. I mean, if they're not number one in all sports, they were number one in basketball. I, was, I, can, t- I can tell you for a fact they're not number one in all sports. All right. Well, they're number one in basketball. Like, that is a fact. What, $6 billion? Yeah. And all you need to do is watch the money just flow in and just sit back and enjoy it. And even and the, the fucking crazy part about this is you don't even need to have a good product on the court. And you're still more profitable than the Lakers. The Lakers are very good right now. Let's say uh, in terms of NBA, yes, they okay. are. Uh, they're worth an estimated four billion dollars. But in terms of most valuable sports team overall, that is the Dallas Cowboys, who are worth an estimated five billion dollars. <laughs> Whatever. That's five billion. Okay. Yeah. All right. So they're four, yeah. f- one point nine away. I mean, either in, way, in a, an arena that is a quarter of the size of playing in Dallas. Well, either but way, either way. Yeah. I mean, it's. And ridiculous. You can have uh, that team last year was awful, and they still made four billion in profit. 
Yeah, it's just one thing that he can't let himself go because of his ego, and that's where this is going to be the ultimate downfall of him or the team at this stage. As long as he's the owner, and let's be honest, this isn't going to change anything. As, as much as people are up in arms and as much as news as this is making and views as this is getting on YouTube and Twitter and whatever else, nothing's going to change. Right. You know, it's still going to be the same. It's going to be like with every other quote-unquote controversy or shocking thing that happened with James Dolan and Nick's ownership, where it's news for a couple of days, he doesn't say anything, and then it goes away. As long as he is the owner, you will not see a big-name player come to the Garden in free agency. As long as because, he is the owner, they'll never win. Because with Dolan as the owner, Ken, Ken if you're big-name you know, NBA sport, let's just say you're, you're Giannis. Okay. Would you want to come to the Knicks with Oakley's nonsense, with... Spike Lee's nonsense and all the other stories I'm sure we haven't heard about over the years. No, that's the problem they have. That We've addressed this, too. The Oakley incident has been the curse on the Knicks since it has happened. Well, I'd say Dolan's the curse on well, the Knicks. The Dolan, well, Dolan has been, but that moment when he kicked Oakley out of the garden has changed that franchise forever. And the only way it's going to get fixed is if he does a public apology to mend the fences here. I think he's going to have to do something like that with Spike. At the end of the day, because this is going to go back and forth about he said, he said, because the pettiness involved is not going to let it go away. And overall, this is just going to hurt the brand and the future moves that you got Leon Rose coming in, who's going to try making the best of a bad situation. But when you have a PR nightmare like you say PR nightmare on his first day. Yeah, you have a PR nightmare on his first day. So how is he supposed to come back and fight this? That's going to be the uphill battle he's going to have to do. I mean, talk about throwing a guy into the water and letting him swim on to figure it out on his first day. Good lord! Yeah, I mean everybody, everybody thought probably that you know with Leon Rose being that uh, Dolan was going to take a step back, and obviously it's not the case. And I mean, I to me this all goes back to the metal trade mm-hmm. when you know they had Donnie Walsh in place and had a game plan with him and D'Antoni that was going to be centered around free agency in that uh, I think that was the 0607 free agency. Believe so. Yeah, and they had a plan, you know, that they were going to attack free agency with uh, being able to get either one or two depending on if they were moving willing to move assets, uh, max players, and instead Dolan opted to force, you know, Donnie Walsh's hand and make them go get mellow at the trade deadline, basically absolutely ransacking any talent that they had as far as what they had accumulated and then just bring back mellow uh you know a sham of you know uh not the same chauncey billups that was in detroit and you know garbage you Mm -hmm. know i mean had mellow just signed in free agency that that whole run would have been different because they had the cap space it would have been completely different or if they would have done what everybody thought they should have done which was get darren williams a point guard to run with Amari Stoudemire, but instead he wanted Melo, and that's what we got. Well, like I say, it's the curse of Dolan. I mean, that's however you want to say it. I, Dolan has always been the problem. That moment is another one in the right in the Knicks legacy. That's where his meddling really started to change the landscape of the organization. Because before that point, yeah, they were bad, but Walsh and D'Antoni had something in place. They were they were building something, and then. It, taken from them absolutely and that's where they're going to need to do an uphill battle to fix things yeah and this incident is just going to set them back more because depending on how the pr image is going to get spun either way 
is going to impact what happens next year. Well, I can tell you the general reaction to the statement they put out this afternoon, they being the Knicks, the general reaction online, looking through Reddit and Twitter and, and Facebook and stuff like that, is generally, oh, my God, LOL, who wrote this? Yeah, because yeah. it is just as petty as it can be read, in well, my opinion. I mean, it doesn't matter this offseason anyway, because, I mean, really, Anthony Davis is the only free agent, and I just – I don't see he him leaving. Yeah, I don't see There's him leaving no Los way Angeles. they trade that farm for him to. Well, no, not walk. even that. I mean, he they'll have the cap space. Yeah. I just don't see him leaving. You know, uh, for not only a year off the table, but you know, yeah. probably potentially yeah. thirty million. You know, plus being able to play with LeBron towards the end of his career. I mean, although I do got to say, slight aside, Levar Ball was on Undisputed today. I do like his idea for beating the Lakers. Double team LeBron and AD, and let everybody else try and score. That might actually work. I hate him so much. Um, <laughs> And, I mean, then next year you've got Giannis. So, I mean, then it's the uh, whole, who are they going to get Jason Kidd to come and be his oh, guy? Jesus. He loves Jason Kidd. So, you know, that's what we're going to have to deal with in two years. Next offseason is going to be strictly, or this offseason, I should say, is going to be 100% strictly, like, build rapport with agents and players. Well, and then the following offseason is going to be. So, 2021 Fucking bonkers. Yeah, can they get Giannis? That's going to be the question. Just because uh, I googled it, uh, Spotrack.com lists uh, these following people, uh, and this is listed by their average annual value: uh, Chris Paul, LeBron James, Kawhi Leonard, Blake Griffin, Paul George, Gordon Hayward, Mike Conley, Kyle Lowry, Demar Derozan, uh, just to name a few. So this will be what Rose's task is going to deal with, but he's going to have to override what has been done by Dolan. Right. It's going to be a challenge. There is no question of that. This setback is going to put him back a ways though and like i say your only chance of getting anthony davis is very slim to none there's no way the lakers trade everybody they trade the entire farm to go get him well no that's why i said he's not going anywhere right well he's a free agent anyway so i mean he can just up and leave the knicks are going to be able to offer him a max salary for being a veteran nba all-star first teamer right but that's only going to be four years at like 120 right the lakers are going to be able to beat it right they're going to be able to offer him five at 170 right but my but my point in closing though about it is california they can they can make an offer to get him but with these kind of events going on it's not going to happen right it just won't so for leon rose to turn the ship around it's going to take a minor miracle to happen right away. The free the, agency. The man was given a sheet of paper and paper clips and told to build the Great Wall of China. Yeah, but he's going to he's going <laughs> to have fair. some he's going to have some time to do it. Can he do it? Is going to be the ultimate question. I don't know with this kind of setback, and this, we'll just have to keep an eye on the situation as it progresses because it depends on what side you're on, Team Dolan or Team Spike. As silly as that statement sounds, Team Nick. Exactly. That's what I am. I'm Team Nick. I'll tell you what. All I know, all I know is Leon Rose is going to have to MacGyver this shit. Well, he's going to have to do something, so we are going to have to stay tuned and watch that. So definitely hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPH. What is your thoughts about the Spike Lee situation? Who's right and who's wrong, and what is in the future for the Knicks with Leon Rose at the helm? Pat's going to take another shot of cold medicine. He's fighting off a bad illness for everybody today. So definitely, definitely give it up to him on social media. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. your boy Kobe Mack host of the Kobe told me podcast it's my whenever I want to deep dive with the Mac himself where I get to amplify my movie reviews for your listening pleasure this is my 30 minutes or less solo pod keeping it real with reviews sometimes movie news and an always dope box office breakdown i'm the best subjectively objective film critic in the game and when they ask you where you heard it from 
You tell him Kobe told me. Peace. Hey, this is Brian Wolf from Fair City Fire. You are listening to ODPH, the greatest podcast in Binghamton. Woo! Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH podcast. And since the coaches in studio, we got to talk some football. And this past weekend was the NFL Combine, uh-huh. where college players are trying to audition themselves for teams, going through a bunch of rigorous tests, if I may say that. And there is less asked panel. What was everybody's takeaway from this weekend? Uh, my takeaway from this weekend was I was amazed and astounded that Bill Belichick was out in the rain oh, in the middle of God. fucking Tennessee. Holy shit. That was cool. That was crazy. Yeah, if I hear that story one more time, it's a Bill Belichick thing to do, though. Oh, it I is. Mean, it, it is because you get all the time they find these guys. That yeah. nobody ever knows. Oh, how did they find him? Well, there, here's why. Well, yeah. here's why because the combine is uh, taped and televised, and <laughs> there's notes and there's agents and I'll there's say, all these he, people there. And in this day and age, a guy runs a forty, and like thirty seconds later, it's up on. Yeah, Twitter. I mean, he can easily just go home and watch the tapes of the stuff. He doesn't need to be there. No, it was so silly. No, mine was Chase Claypool, baby, out of where Notre Dame killed it as a wide receiver. 19 reps on the bench press, ran the second fastest 40-yard time for a guy over 6'5", at a wide receiver position, the only person who ran faster than him, a guy by the name of Calvin Johnson, whose nickname was fucking Megatron. Can we Let's just, go. Can we just talk about well, uh, who was it, that linebacker for Clemson oh, that had a 40 time? A linebacker like, slash safety. Yeah. Like huge a, advantage. Had a 40 time that was like faster than Saquon, faster than uh, DeAndre Hopkins. Like they were they were putting him like side by side or in stuff or whatever, however they do it with some of the other 40 times in the past. And I'm, I saw the video. I'm like, holy Listen, shit. That's I love impressive. Simmons out of Clemson. I love him. I know with the giants sitting at four, that is definitely a name that I'm looking and targeting, but I mean, he's a safety. That is a defensive back that got to run a 40 time against linebackers. Yeah. So, I mean, was that really fair? I don't know. You tell me like whatever, but chase Claypool absolutely killed it. I said, going into this, that I mean, especially after the bowl game against Iowa uh, State, that he was looking really good. So way to hold that impad. Thank you. I uh, bless you. Um, I was loving it. I thought that he was going to kill it. He went in and did it. And that is a name that is rising up draft boards. That if you need a wide receiver, not to mention he was Notre Dame's uh, a special teamer on punt coverage and kickoff. So I'm looking at you, Pad, and oh, and the Giants now with. Uh, you know, uh, judge there, you know, as a Belichick uh, heir apparent to target that type of guy that can do multi, um, you know, multi-position type of guy. And, I mean, yeah, Simmons out of Clemson. I That was that was nuts. Yeah, I mean, I like I said, a guy that can play safety and linebacker and be in the nickel, I mean, that is amazing. I'm pretty sure he took most of his snaps at Clemson at safety. So that's an uh, – um, a position in need for the Giants. Uh, and then the defensive lineman out of uh, LSU, 
ran a pretty fast 40 time. I think he was like 6'7", 330, and he ran like a 4'7", or 4'8", something like that, like something stupid. So a lot of a lot of talent. I, I actually yeah. – this draft is deep. Mm-hmm. I wish – again, let's go back to that Odell Beckham trade where the Giants only got one first-round pick. They definitely should have tried to get a one this year and a one last year or a second or third this year because this draft is so deep that you will see players – fall that you're like how is this guy falling well it's that it's a deep. deep draft yeah no the takeaways i had is uh tristan Wirfs from iowa the left tackle oh that's oh, who that i'm not, not defensive lineman yeah. i meant that yeah that, that guy was yeah, running a four eight Ooh. yeah well he didn't look that good against the name hey, either way he still looked good enough there that that caught some attention mm-hmm. and another name that caught me by surprise because man i just feel old antoine winfield jr Ooh. i remember the original antoine winfield playing in the league Right. Well, so, you want to you want to talk about original players playing in the league? The crazy one I saw from I think it was Pro Football Talk this morning was Greg Olson, of course, signed with the oh, Seattle yeah. signed with the Seattle Seahawks. He played with DK Metcalf's father, and now he's playing with his son. Yeah, holy yeah, that crap! That was absolutely wild to see. Wild, just to see and how like the legacies are taken over. And the other takeaway I did have was for quarterback, and okay, that, and that was uh, Justin Herbert. I guess won people over from Oregon. Now, yeah. now, do I think he's going to overtake Burrow? No, no, I, I not <laughs> not by a long shot. No, but I just thought that it was absolutely crazy to see him shoot up the boards there too. Because yeah, well, 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 I saw them getting discussed on. Uh, it was either I think it was Get Up this morning on ESPN when I was at the gym. They, mm-hmm. He was I forget what team it was for, but it, he he was like twelve or thirteen. I think is what they were talking about. I mean, there's a couple things here. One. You know, obviously, any quarterback that performs well at the combine mm-hmm. always is going to come out as the hot name. I mean, Herbert had a very up and down year this year at Oregon. They weren't consistent at all. You know, I saw a game where they lost to Arizona by 30 in the Pac 12 championship, but then I saw, you know, their bowl game where they looked really good. So it's like the inconsistency there is pretty tough. Um, but I, I definitely, obviously, Tua's going to go as the second quarterback. You know, it's like Todd McShay's got him going to uh, the Miami Dolphins, which is the most Miami Dolphins move. Ever. Yeah, I mean, I'm perfectly I, again. I mean, if we're talking specifically, I, if I'm talking about the Giants here, I love where they are at four because they can dangle that carrot all day long mm-hmm. for some mm-hmm. of these teams. I mean, they should easily be able to move back and still get a quality player and get some assets in return that they desperately need. And. Again, I mean, I can't. This draft is going to be really good. I mean, everybody's targeting next year because Trevor Lawrence and, and sure. you know all those players. But I mean, you're not even talking about like later on in the draft. I mean, there's still you know Jonathan Taylor that people aren't talking about out of Wisconsin. Um, well, the other interesting thing, especially with this draft, is you've got so many teams you know that have questions with some of key positions. You know, quarterback or one outside the Patriots because that you know that's a whole other ball of wax. That it, you know we're to the point that you know various sports shows are amplifying the audio from Saturday's UNC Syracuse game. It's getting out of control. But you've got other teams like with you know uh, Tampa Bay possibly moving on from Jameis. Sure. And all you know what is San Diego going to do? That you've got all these teams that don't know what they are going to do. And or, I love it. For you know, I love it. Come and I love Gettleman. We are open for business. You say you got some decent quarterbacks in this draft that may take them. Well, it's just kind of wild to hear just the early prospects that are going to go around. Like, right. I mean, I know that after the combine, everybody goes into media draft mode. Sure. And then, I mean, obviously on next week's podcast, we're going to be breaking down our ideas for everybody's free agency coming up. Oh, God. Up. And then uh, the quarterback. Don't even uh, – the kid out of Ohio State. 
Killed it too. He had a great uh, forty and uh, had a great combine too. Jeff, Jeff uh, Jefferson. Jeff Okuda. Yes. Okay. Yeah, he had a great combine. And then the two uh, the two wide receivers from LSU. Yeah. Also had. I mean, there is so much talent. There's so much talent. And that's why you get to see it with the combine. That's why it it is an important tool in the draft process. It can also overinflate some players. Sure. Yeah. Sure. I mean, we, yeah. there's been a history of that throughout Work. the years. We don't need to get into all the names. <laughs> workout warriors, sure. Exactly. We'll so, be here for an hour. Yeah, that somebody can be awesome in a workout, but when you get them on the field, is a whole different story. Well, that's like I said with last week's show when we were kind of previewing, well, what do you expect? I, you know, the, the combine is great and all, and it's good to see just kind of the skill set you're working with. Right. But I'd much rather look at game tape to see what they look like when they've got a you know six foot five, three hundred pound defensive lot defensive end, right, bearing down on them with the intent of intent of taking their head off. Well, that's why going into this, I had high expectations for a guy like Claypool, and I I mean that's somebody that I want the Giants to target because God, six foot five, you know, with that wingspan and everything, like that's what every quarterback's dream is, you know, and he'll go up and he'll get the ball, you know. I mean, he's not afraid of that. So I and I watch him. I watch a lot of Notre Dame games, so I knew the talent was going to be there. Right. And I knew that if he had a good combine, he was going to rise up the board. And lo and behold, good combine, got great game tape that shows that he can put it on the field, rising up the boards. So I'm, uh, I'm looking at Todd McShay's uh, mock draft here. Ken, you'll enjoy what he says Buffalo should do at 22. Uh, he says they should take T. Higgins, the wide receiver from Clemson. Quote, let's find Josh Allen or a receiver to pair with John Brown. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that, yeah. too. Fully on board with that move if they can get him there. I mean, that's just the one thing about the drafts now, and especially you, you see so many mock drafts already, uh-huh. and, and just after the it's so hard to do. Well, it's it, so hard. To well, it's do. Like, it's like it's especially like with baseball, where you go through your grocery store, or whatever now, and you see like on the rep by the registers, you know, the fantasy baseball magazines, right. and there's like eight of them, and I stand there and look at them, going, I've never heard of half of you. Well, you remember when I texted you? I was trying to write one for the blog post last mm-hmm. year, and I got to like pick ten, and I'm like eating my eyeballs out because I'm like, I don't know. I literally none of this is going to happen. No. I mean, it is so unpredictable. Like, yeah, last year, you know, you knew the Giants were going to go after Daniel Jones, and you know, you know that uh, Burroughs is going to go one to Cincinnati. But literally after that, it is an absolute crapshoot. Well, whatever mm-hmm. could happen. The biggest wild card for me right now is what Washington's going to do because there's a lot of they got a lot of needs a lot of needs and there's a lot of talk that they're not happy with Haskins and they think they should do an upgrade oh my god I've read the opposite today they got a lot I read the opposite that there's no way they go after two here we go yeah that's a prime point point. I've read some things they are I mean not drafting Chase Young at that spot when pass rushing is the name of the game right now yeah like if you have an elite pass rushing team you are already in the race for a division play you know a division championship to not draft Chase Young would be silly. Like, at least at the Giants at four, it's like there's enough depth at that position, like, for the rest of the positions that, like, if somebody trades up to get a quarterback, I mean, at worst, you're going to fall, what, to 10th? Mm-hmm. So, all right, let's just say that somebody jumps up to four to take uh, Herbert, right? Yep. There's still um, fields from, or not fields, um, oh my God, Brown. Jordan Love? Who? Love from. Um... Love, and there's the other kid from uh, Georgia. Um, that his oh, name Grum? is, yes, or from that, there, from from yes. So there's still those two quarterbacks that if guys, if quarterbacks are starting to come off the board, you know, and the Giants fall, like let's just say that whoever's at ten moves up to four to get, you know, one of the remaining quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. That the just like that year with Christian Ponder in that draft class where it was literally two quarterbacks went in the top five, 
and then Minnesota traded up to get Ponder, and then just talent started falling down the board because everybody was chasing quarterbacks up the board that, I mean, at 10, the Giants might literally be able to get, you know, um, a starting wide receiver or a starting offensive tackle that should have been drafted in the top five. No, Washington absolutely needs to take Chase Young, you know, with a number two pick because you look at the NFC East, Dallas, young quarterback, New Giants, young quarterback, Eagles, young quarterback, Washington. Okay, yeah, you don't have a young quarterback, but you got the other three teams in your division all have a young quarterback that can run around. They're very mobile. They're very good at that. Defensive end helps negate some of that. Oh, I fully agree that they should do that. I'm just saying that there's been a lot of talk that they're thinking about starting over again, which I, it, it's so crazy to me to see how disposable the position a quarterback can so be. Can you start over if you never really got anywhere? Well, yeah. the problem well, is it's all about regime. Right. It's, yeah. who, who, it's, it's are you my guy and did I pick you? Because if the answer is no, then, you know, goodbye. It's, goodbye. Yeah, it's the opposite with yeah. the Giants because uh, Gettleman's still there. And uh, Daniel Jones is a Gettleman guy. So even if Judge doesn't like Gettleman, at the end of the day, the guy who picked him is still there. Right. On the flip side of that, in Washington, that is a whole new regime there. Yep, that's so, Riverboat sure. Ron. Right. So for them to be like, you know what, I'm not sold on this Haskins character, that makes sense because it's a whole new general manager and uh, coach there. Yeah. So for them to start fresh, I get. What I don't understand, though, is – with Ron Rivera being the defensive-minded guy that he is, not salivating at the fact that you're going to be able to guy who can rush from the right or the left side, either in a three-point or a two-point stance, meaning he can either rush the quarterback standing or if he can rush him on the ground, and just being able to get after it. Well, it is a puzzling thing, but then again, so is Washington. So This what, is what, also true, but new regime, though, so I mean... You would think... But that's why I say that's the one that has me most intrigued. Them in Detroit, because Detroit could go a lot of different Detroit's ways. Detroit's very, very interesting. Yeah, you don't know what you, they're going to do. I, I don't mean, think Detroit knows what they're going to do. Well, you, you have to think with Patricia still as head coach. Yeah, that that's true. He's going he's gonna to look defense. So that's why I say I don't doubt Akua there from Ohio State, the cornerback. I don't doubt that move happening there. Hey, I mean, if that happens, what's his face? Slay. Yeah. Hey, so come on over to the Giants. I'm just saying I don't doubt that happening with Patricia still at the helm. It's just how it's going to fall out with everybody else because once that a quote-unquote lock pick slides down the draft board, everything shifts. Everything oh, changes. Everything changes. Yeah, mm-hmm. You want to talk about domino effects? Number one is locked. Burrow is oh, going God, number yeah. one. We don't lock, even need, stock, and I guarantee you he's already looking at houses over there. Yeah, we don't even need to discuss that. But two is where I think everything could change, and then three could definitely be a wild card. You only know that there are certain teams that are going to need to grab a quarterback. We know Miami is going to be one. Well, that that's why it makes sense, I think, for that, as much as I can like kind of joke and crap on the Dolphins. It makes sense for them to draft Tua. Young quarterback, yeah, he's got the injury, but you've still got Ryan Fitzpatrick in town, so you can easily have Tua sit out a year, get that knee or whatever injury it is to like 130% so that there is no doubt in anyone's mind that he's ready to go and have him just be a sponge and sit there and learn everything. But in this day and age, though, too, Pat, it's not that simple. That's true. Because let's say the Dolphins start out 0-4. You're going to hear the calls to put the kid in. Yeah, that's true. And you don't have that time frame. It's just that's the wild thing about the NFL, that time and game management is always the biggest X factor to manage. I think there's a big difference with um, Tua, though, in the injury. I think that Dolphins fans – you know, depending on who they have in front of them. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, they're going to put 
they're going to get a veteran to, you know, be a mentor to Tua anyway. So oh, yeah. whoever they get, as long as he is, you know, not throwing seven interceptions a game and being terrible, I, I you know, Miami's going to know that Tua's got to sit out a year because the recovery time's just not going to be there anyway. Right, it's not right. like you, you would think. No, no, there's no way they're not going to rush him in. You never – see, that's the thing. You never know if they, if they feel – if they feel – that they could make a, a change, and, you know, because usually it's around the f- week four. That's when you see the rookie quarterbacks start getting kind of pushed in, depending on how the record is. Right. But I agree with you; they should sit. But him. they have the underlying factor of medical. Well, that's the thing. If they, but they have to follow that to the letter. Like, right. If, if, I mean, if they the force thing, this kid in, they're going to burn the pick. Normally, I'd say you're right, Cam. But in the in this instance, it's the Miami Dolphins. The expectations and the bar is not very high for that organization. I, you I, wouldn't think, but I'm just. I realize the fans and the diehard Finn fans are you know Super Bowl or die as every fan is. No, no, no. But but realistically, you know, ownership I think is sitting there going, all right, let's just hope for a 500 season. If they, if the doc, if medically they say week 10, the earliest he can. Contact because let's face it, he just started running mm-hmm. right. and it's April, right? Or it's March, yeah. And he just started running, so that would put a timetable of you know, probably the fall, he'll be able to maybe do some light pad work, and then by that point, you know, that's already camp's done, season's here. Let's just say week 10, that would be November, yep. Mm-hmm. All right, so that's when he gets cleared, week 10, November. They're three and seven. No, so we got to also remember too. It isn't fully medically cleared. That, yet. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah, he's like, expected to get that on the 9th of March, which isn't until next week. Right. Oh, and, he is. And, and, and that's why I'm saying sooner. he's going to be cleared early. What my point is about mm. this is, for me, if I was the Dolphins and I take him at five, I stash him. I don't play him this year. I make sure that he is 115 percent ready to go. I don't rush that. But in this day and age with the NFL, and this is where my point is. If he's cleared and he's healthy to go, I'm not saying I'm doubting it happening. I don't think it should happen. But if they get to be like 0-4, 0-5, would they make the move? Well, that, that's my argument. Well, you I, know they're, different. You know they're yeah. doing some tests on him because uh, there's an article on ESPN.com uh, from Cameron Wolf. Uh, again, about Tua's expect quote. Uh, the headline is Tua expects medical clearance March 9th. There's a paragraph in here uh, that says, "quote He did some medical exams in Indianapolis on Monday, arriving at 10 a.m. and leaving at 7:49 p.m." So they definitely put him through some medical tests. Well, good, good you, lord, you need to if you're going to make that much of an investment, which is smart to do, because that's <laughs> the one thing we know. The Tua has had a great college career. Yeah, he has a very bad injury. He's coming in this league with. So who knows how that's going to affect status with teams and him. And the smart move is you know what you're going to get with him if he's healthy. But if you're a team that needs to make some moves right away, is it smart to draft him? Or can you sit on him and wait and see how the season progresses? I just fear for him that if he goes to Miami and let's say Miami feels they can start turning stuff around, they're going to rush him back too soon. I hope they don't for his his health. I really don't. I just put him in when he's ready to go. If you rush anything with him, you're going to burn that pick, and it's going to be useless. Yeah. And you're going to waste his career, which is a which is would be a shame. Wouldn't be the first time a quarterback from Alabama gets their career ruined. Exactly. So that being said, I mean the drafts have got so much impact going on now with the results from the combine. So where is everybody going to go? But that wasn't the only NFL news this weekend, Coach. The CBA. Yeah. T- talk big to us. time. Uh, controversy here. I mean, players don't want it. Some players do, some players don't. 
I mean, basically the crux of it is that the uh, owners are fighting for a 17th game and to add uh, one uh, playoff team. So that would be seven playoff teams now getting in. And the, I guess, bargaining chip that they're trying to offer is that they're going to increase game day rosters from 53 to 55, that the uh, practice squad will go from, uh, I believe, 12 players right now to 15 players, and it will be difficult, uh, more difficult for teams to be able to sign uh, practice players off of the practice squad. So, I mean, that's where I'm, like, kind of having a hard time understanding, like, the problem with it with players because, yeah, I understand a 17th game and an extra playoff team does create, you know, more uh, playing, you know, more opportunities for injuries. But at the same time, I mean, uh, it's also going to increase revenue. Uh, so the other thing that they're seeding to the players is 48% of uh, the dollars that come in goes to players right now. That will increase to 48.5%. I mean, it's tough. It's like... I mean, the thing of it is, though, is by and large, with a couple divisions, the playoffs, you know, who's going to be in the playoffs by the time you hit week 17 are pretty much all but guaranteed. It's pretty much all but locked up. I think that's... Why add another week onto it when, hey, you could get to week 17, go, all right, we got a couple scenarios, we got to figure out a couple of wildcard teams, we got to figure out. But once, you know, week 17's all over and done with, you got everybody figured out, so what's going to happen? You know, your teams that aren't in it are going to play their starters. They're going to do whatever. And then every other, you know, the eight teams or, or nine teams or whatever it ends up being are just going to all sit their starters. You know, like, oh, we're not going to, you know, okay, yeah, right. we got another game. We're not going to risk our starters. We're, why Why would we bother doing that? Yeah, so, I mean, that's where I get the, the flip side of it because it's like, it's tough. I mean, like a 17th game, you know, would, would it be beneficial? I mean, to me, the more confusing team is, uh, the more confusing thing is seven teams. Yeah. Into the playoffs because they just, like, want, they just want to guarantee Dallas gets in there. Yeah, based. I mean, it's just it doesn't make any sense to me. Like six is perfect right now. Two get a buy, four play. You know, now with a seventh team, it's like two teams get a buy, and you know, it's just it's a weird concept to me. It just makes sense. Football ain't broke. Don't fix it. Yep. I understand that ownership is seeking uh, an additional revenue, but. I mean, so I dug up. A, I dug up a CBS uh, Sports article from uh, Christmas Eve back on uh, last year, and when it details first off AFC who's in uh, Baltimore Patriots, Kansas City Chiefs, Houston Texans, uh, Buffalo Bills were all in. At that point, the only team left, and it was the sixth seed, which was the Tennessee Titans, sitting at eight and seven. Mm-hmm. So by so okay, going into Week Seventeen. Everything but one spot was locked up. So, ergo, by the end of week 17, everything was locked up and figured out. So, same scenario if they do this extra week. Why bother? Well, that's right. the arg- that's the argument to have. And, like, I want to just back what Coach said. If it's not broke, don't fix it. No. Right. Nobody is screaming about a team being left out of the playoffs. No. Unless you're a Dallas fan. I don't, think, I mean anybody's, I don't think anybody's screaming for Week 17. I'll say this, yeah. isn't, this isn't like the college men's basketball tournament where before they expanded it to, what, 68 teams? You had maybe like a half a dozen teams or fan bases going, hey, what about us? Here's our accolades and here's our stats and here's our this. You know, NFL, it's really not like, okay, yeah, you, you know, you could have made it in, but here's some scenarios where why you didn't. Exactly. So to extend the game where, let's face it, American football is one of the most violent games to be had. Yep. Right. So to extend a game one more time, the percentage of getting injured to whatever degree goes up. 
I understand that point, so why play a meaningless game is, I guess, where I'm going with this. If it's not broke, don't fix it. And the system has worked. The NFL playoff system works. And, I mean, what do you do with the 17th week anyway? Because, I mean, I was, right now I haven't read that they would add an additional bye week. So who is who do you play week 17? Because the NFL um, uh, schedule is so con- already constructed. I mean, you already know your opponents for the following year based right. on week 16 because, right. you know, the NFC East rotates between the AFC – uh, East and mm. the NFC West, and it rotates every four years. And then you play this uh, the teams that finish similar to you in your div- uh, other, in the other divisions in your conference. Yeah. So if you are the last place team in the NFC East, you will play the last place team in the NFC South and the NFC West or NFC North, depending on if you play the NFC West entire division that year. So like, where does Week 17 go if you already have that strict you know bylaw of games? You know, so like, let's just say the Giants finished bottom in the division last year. Now they're week seventeen, and because they were bottom of the division, now they're sixteen and two. They got to play or sixteen and one. Now they got to play. Pull it out of your hat. Well, you know. So the way I'm thinking of this, and this is just off the top of my head, but I'll use the Patriots because it's easily accessible in my brain. You know, you couldn't do anything with the division rivals, right? Because that's already set. You already play them twice a year. The only thing I could think you could do is whatever other division you're playing. So I know last year the Patriots played the NFC East. You'd almost have to do a situation where I know they played Dallas in New England, whatever week it was. You'd almost have to do a scenario where it changes every time you play that division, but you play one of those two teams twice a year. That's... One at home and one at one away. I don't like that. I don't like that at all. Because, I... because what else are you going to do? Are you going to throw off the entire scheduling and go, okay, Cleveland Browns, you're playing the you know NFC South this year, right? But that's you know, why. But so okay, you're playing the the you're playing the Panthers, you're playing the Falcons, you're playing the Saints, and oh by the way, we're gonna throw you a curveball. We're gonna throw you the Green Bay Packers here in like week fourteen. But that's why the schedule is so perfect. I mean, yeah. the whole idea behind this was parity. They wanted to create a, a a system where teams were set to go eight and eight, and if you went better than that. Kudos to you. You beat the system. Yeah. But the whole thing was set up so you finish 8-8. Eight and eight. That's the whole principle. So it's literally constructed perfectly. You know, in basketball, you play every uh, conference team four times, two at home, two away, and then you play uh, the AFC or the – wow. You play the Western Conference, if you're the Knicks, once at home, once away. Sure. So, yes, all right, that could, in theory, devise you to finish 500 – but obviously, with eighty-two games, that the the uh, uh, the potential of finishing greater or lesser than is much higher. You know, the er- the margin for error is that much greater, right? Right. But in the NFL, with sixteen games, it is literally devised that if you go twelve and four, you're a damn good football team, and well. Typically, you are if you go 12-4. and four. Yeah, that's the argument you have to be made about this. And just the idea that they're trying to force another game in there, I'm sure it has to do with TV and streaming rights, too, and well, all no, that. Well, it's all dollars. Well, well it's all dollars. It's all too. dollars. But considering where that revenue comes from, too. And here's the other thing. Okay, so let's just say week 17 they add a game, and now you know it's a, an away game for Dallas. Yeah. You think Jerry Jones is going to be happy about that? No, of course that doesn't not. Make it, no. That doesn't make him money. No, all right, yeah. so then the following year they get week 17 at home. 
so they get one extra home game. Yeah. It, Does it, that really make up for the game that was lost the year before? It makes no sense to do this. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I genuinely think that like somebody on the owner side or whoever had this idea, always a great idea that no thought was put into this, and they just said, "Up, oh, throw it in there." Oh, well, I'm sure they. I'm sure they thought that, and that's the problem with it. And this is just so randomly put together; it just doesn't make any damn sense. In theory, what I read was, and I think it was Richard Sherman who said it was, "This is their opening." You know, contract negotiations mm-hmm. to eventually scale it back to have 18 weeks. That this is, they pitched this seventh team, week 17, as a way of saying <coughs> to the players, okay, this is our opening pitch, you know, counter. And they're thinking that the players are going to counter with this and then they'll come back with, all right, then we want week 18 plus this, yeah. you know, and that's how they're going to get that. Because the clamoring for an 18 week schedule is also ridiculously stupid they tried week 17 in like 1996 Mm. but teams had two buys and it still didn't land well no it doesn't land well i mean if they need to do anything with the cba it's like i would fix how much you give for position players and certain contracts maybe adjust the money that way and i would also take off two preseason games because let's face it you don't need that many i like i mean i Ugh, it's tough because I understand. I mean, the opening preseason roster is seven five guys. Right. But this, mean, is, this it, is where you need to nail it down before camp, and like you have to adjust that number. Right. But, I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, there's been guys who, I mean, come to mind that, you know, uh, Derek Ward comes to mind, you know, who was cut by the Jets and then picked up by the Giants who, you know, had a great year, a uh, great year and a half really until he got injured that, you know, the Giants might not have seen, you know, had it not been for – you know, the two preseason games that he played with the Jets. I mean, Victor Cruz is another person that comes to mind. I mean, had it not been for the preseason games that he had, he might have been cut, you know? So it's tough because you have 75. It, it's, it's a double-edged sword. I mean, right. no matter how you want to do it. Like, the example is you're just forcing two extra games that nobody cares about, so you have players out there with the potential of getting hurt. I guess to me the problem is is that they make the, the cut to 53 after week three. Yeah, maybe or excuse me. I think the cut because it's I think the cuts from seventy three to sixty, and then after week four it's sixty to fifty three on Monday. So right. maybe if you just let teams carry seventy five, so basically your fifteen man practice squad up until week four, you know, and then you can make your adjustments from there. I mean, maybe that would be a little more. There has to be a different way to pull beneficial. it off. I mean, yeah, that, that, I mean that's just the overall thing I, because I, adding more games is just not the way to do I, and it. And I get. The two, the four preseason games is especially when guys aren't playing most of the preseason anyway. Mm-hmm. I get what you're saying because I, yeah, I mean, Aaron Rodgers ain't playing a preseason game. Tom Brady ain't playing a preseason game, and I understand why those guys don't need to play. Even though you see the product on the field, week one is not as good as it once was when guys were playing the preseason game. Right. But I mean, at the end of the day, uh, an injury in a stupid preseason game because you know X team is playing guy who needs to get a contract. And getting t- getting the Tom Brady is the most important thing in the world to him because that will make him his contract. I understand the you know his side of it. You know the guy going after Tom Brady because he's trying to get a contract. So if he does something stupid, you know he was trying to get paid. You know I mean he's got family fee. You know whatever. Like I'm just yeah. creating a scenario, but like that's the real life realm that these guys that are on the bubble live on. You know no, it's it's definitely a real situation. I'm not disputing that, but for the overall picture of the NFL, 
to go this route and add extra games, yet meanwhile you have preseason games that you're forcing season ticket holders to buy as part of your package yeah, yeah. to get in there, and you know you're not getting the quality product. Sure. And trying to add more games, which will, I'm not going to say tamper with the integrity of your game because it won, but it also throws in a wrench to a problem that you don't have that you are now adding in more variables to give an extra team a playoff chance, which you don't need. We don't need to be in this league to give everybody a trophy to say nice job. Well, not only just that, but it's just a seventh seed doesn't make sense. Yeah. Like, it's not like the, you know, with baseball. Baseball is perfect. Right, where they added that extra game, that wild card, but it's a one-game, (laughs) one-off that's, you know, just really high contention, and and then it fits into – their playoff model because it's just one day and done, mm-hmm. you know, and then they're right into the next series versus the NFL where if you have that seventh week, now you're creating an extra week of playoffs, an extra week of games, a long break in between then and then because obviously you're not going to have guys play on a Thursday and then go and play on a Sunday. Yeah. So that doesn't make any sense because now you're creating another seven-day span of games for a play- for one playoff game, right. one playoff game. You yeah. know, I mean, baseball, it's like they play on Monday – on Wednesday, they're right back into their in their thing, you know? So baseball, yes, it works. In the NBA, that wouldn't work either unless it was a one-playoff too because, you know, if you let a ninth team in, they play on a Monday, they can play on Wednesday. The NFL, the demand's too high. Yeah, the demand. Uh, the physical demand on the on a player is too high for them to play on a Wednesday or a Monday and then go right back in and play on a Thursday. Right, so that's what I'm saying. If you're going to do anything with the CBA, adjust how much you're paying position and, players. And it's already dumb enough that we have this game on Thursday. Yep. That is, oh, you want to talk about quote-unquote player safety. I mean, how many g- elite guys missed a Thursday game because they weren't healthy enough to go on Wednesday? Exactly. That could have probably played had they been on Sunday. <laughs> You know, so I mean, now you're now you talk about resting players. It's like, why would you play a guy Thursday night when they're not medically, you know, they're not clear on a Wednesday, but they could have gone on a Sunday. So now you're robbing fans of that. It's so much involved with the CBA that they need to hammer out. I know this is the rough draft, but for what they presented to the table, there's not a lot to get behind. Well, the hot button, the hot topic, the hot thing to watch for is player safety. Yeah, because Richard Sherman already said that he go or actually that might have been. Russell Wilson, who said it, who said, you know, we are the only league that does not, and I'm paraphrasing, we are the only league that doesn't take player safety first. Hmm. The NBA, MLB, NHL have all made tremendous strides in that. I mean, you know, you don't see shoot-arounds at 8 a.m. anymore because, you know, rest and sleep has become such a a hot issue in the NBA that, like, now shoot-arounds aren't until 3, 4 o'clock. They don't take red-eye flights anymore. So, like, there's all these things that they're doing to change, you know, their game to make it better for the player to make them want to play on a daily basis, A. B, to be their best so the audience that's taking them in want to see these games. And on the flip side of it, you have the NFL that's like, Exactly. Give me, give me, your, give me your ten years, yeah, and then see ahead, you later. Take, go ahead, take a red eye from Seattle to Tampa Bay. Yeah, and that, and you're. But the problem with this is, and what I think that they need to see is, Luke Keekley retiring at thirty mm-hmm. in the prime of his career should be a bigger concern to the NFL than getting an extra game in, as far as ownership and Commissioner Goodell see it, because him leaving is huge. I mean, Carolina. First off, you have a first-year owner. With a first-year head coach, you don't think that they would want Luke Keekley quarterbacking their defense oh, of right course. now? Of and course. now he's gone because why? 
He's worried physical about safety. Dem- physical demands too. Yeah, high. he's worried about his physical safety. That's something that you need to focus on. And we know that, in, and just with closing with this, is the CBA has to do a lot for the players. But when player safety is kind of being pushed aside for this, this is where you really need to put a firm line in the sand yep. and establish okay, the players have to be protected in certain aspects. Their safety of adding another game. And let's face it, and we've said this many times physical sports especially football, will take a toll on a, on a body. I, I just, real quick, if they strike, I'm not going to be upset. No, I, I just want to put that out there. Like, If they strike for the right reasons, which is going to be, I hope, for we want to increase the safety and, and our longevity to uh, uh, in a way of life, mm-hmm. I am all for them doing that. Yeah. And I will come back and watch football once it's over. Right. Well, once they get it figured out, they have to. But – the demands of adding an extra game are going to take that much toll on a human body. No, they shouldn't add it in. Yeah. It's already crazy as it is stands now. I just You know that there's going to be the people that are out there like, oh, if they strike, they're greedy and they're babies. But these are men who are trying to live the same life that we have. All right, yes, they might be multimillionaires and they made a lot of money, but good on them. You know, We could have done it too had we you know, done things differently. I'm just right. saying if they strike and it's for the right reasons of not dollars but for longevity and health of life, Good on you. Yeah, they're going to have to definitely take a look at that with the whole CBA in general because extra games will take that toll. They need to come up with a better compromise than what they're establishing right now because currently they don't have it on paper. And like one thing I've said, they need to rework some of the money sent out to position players too because not everybody's making the million-dollar contracts, but for the safety and physical well-being of these players, they need to really take a look at that. But let us know what you think. Hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPH. Gave you a lot of football talk this week. What do you think about the combine, and what do you think about the proposed CBA first round? We definitely want to have that conversation. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Wonder Soul. Wonder Soul. Wonder Soul. Hey, I'm Lucas, the host of Wonder Soul, a weekly podcast series featuring a variety of topics dealing with life's many passions and experiences. Join me and friends each week as I discuss topics ranging from pop culture to real-life conversations that all can find relatable. New episodes bring new guests and new topics and release every Friday. More content can be found on Wonder Soul's YouTube and Twitch channels. Stay up to date and connect with Wonder Soul through social media by following us on Twitter and Instagram. And we hope that you enjoy Wonder Soul wherever you listen to podcasts. So do good and take care. Hey, this is Vince, the Common Man, CTOI, local MMA fighter, telling you to keep on listening to the ODPH, the Citro 7's up-and-coming newest podcast. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. And there is a big UFC card going down this weekend from Las Vegas, March 7th, UFC 248. Two very, very big title fights is going on. Somebody's going to be shooting right to the top. So we are going to break down those two big fights. So let us start with the women's strawweight title pad. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is between champion Weili Zhang and Joanna Jurjacek. So, Coach, any thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, as long as Jurjacek could handle 
uh, you know, everything that Zhang's going to throw at her, you know, this could be a fight, but I don't know if she can handle all that power. Pad? Uh, no, it's definitely going to be an interesting fight. I mean, you look at uh, Joanna's record in 19 professional fights. She is 16-3. and three. Uh, She won her last fight against Michelle Waterson, uh, lost her previous fight, uh, fight before that to Valentina Shevchenko, and beat uh, Tisha Torres in her fight before Valentina. On the flip side, you've got uh, Weili Zhang, who in 21 matches is 20-1, and one, uh, defeating Jessica Andrade via TKO in her last fight. Unanimous decision against Tisha Torres uh, prior to that. And then Jessica Aguilar uh, via submission back in uh, 2018. Uh, I'm going to lean with Whaley Zhang on this one just because, hey, she's 20 and 1. There is a lot going on with this fight. Obviously, with the situation going on worldwide with the coronavirus, uh, Whaley Zhang had to, or uh, Zhang had to move her camp right. from China to thailand and it was moved from there to abu dhabi i believe uh-huh. so she has been away from her normal background of home settings for this camp that can definitely throw a fighter off obviously when she had her fight against andrade she ran through her for like a buzzsaw to win the title yeah if you haven't seen that fight you can definitely 42 seconds you can go look she absolutely just ran through andrade it wasn't even funny it was just straight punch 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 you, you have to see it to fully just take that in, just how good she is at that age. To flip the coin, Jurjacek has been a long-standing dominant champion in the UFC, and she has fought everybody that has been in the strawweight division. Uh, obviously, Rose Namajunas is the only curveball that has really thrown her off, and her loss to Shevchenko was when she stepped up to 125 to fight her. So that being said, this one could go a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. In my prediction, though, I am taking Jurjacek. Okay. I think that Jurjacek's striking will be on point for this. Plus, she hasn't had, unfortunately, all the problems that Zhang has had about moving camp, being around a different area to train. That will throw a fighter off on their routines. And for how meticulous training is for fighters, this could give Zhang some problems. Sure. Some very big problems. So I'm not saying that it's going to be a knockout in the first round by <coughs> any stretch of the imagination, but this is where Zhang could have some problems, especially with being at a young age, and obviously her fight record speaks for volumes for her. But Jurjacek is a different kind of animal when it's in, or when she's in the cage. She is just a different beast. She can definitely turn it on. She understands about taking fighters into deep rounds. She has definitely fought many decisions. So I would say that this could wind up being a decision, and I do like your Jacek winning by decision for the title. So going to the main event pad, mm-hmm. who we got? That is for the middleweight uh, championship between champion Israel Adesanya and Yoel Romero. Uh, Israel Adesanya is 18-0 and 0, uh, in his professional fight, uh, beating the likes of Robert Whitaker, Kelvin Gastelum, and Anderson Silva in his last three fights. On the flip side, you have Yoel Romero, who is 13-4, and 4, uh, losing to Paulo Costa and Robert Whitaker in his last two fights. And uh, for his third most recent fight, he defeated Luke Rockhold. So, Coach, you have any feelings on this? Yeah, I mean, obviously Adesanya is a pretty efficient striker so if Romero can uh you know withstand that I I don't necessarily see him being able to knock out Adesanya I mean not a lot of people have pushed him to that point yet so to be fair though just some statistics to be fair some statistics out of his 18 fights 14 of those wins are by knockout right exactly so four are by decision sure I still I'm gonna go with Adesanya here 
Pad, what's your take? Uh, I'm going without Asani on this one. He 18 and 0. You run, you look at the list of folks he's faced. You know, just in just in his UFC career. You know, he beat Anderson Silva, which I realize. You know, Anderson Silva back in 2019, not the Anderson Silva of old. But hey, it's still Anderson freaking Silva. You know, definitely a feather in the cap. You know, Yoel Romero, nothing against the guy. No disrespect. I love the guy. You know, great fighter to watch. Beating some great fighters. You know, he beat Jock Ray. He beat Weidman. He's beaten Lyoto Machida, Tim Kennedy, Brad Tavares, Derek Brunson, just to name a few. But this is Adesanya's fight to lose. So let us break this down. Yoel Romero has been a longtime journeyman in the middleweight division. He is no joke at this fighting weight. He is damn near impossible to take out. Uh, His knockout of Chris Weidman still gives me nightmares because he damn near him with a flying knee this side of Jose Aldo Cub Swanson. Yeah. He has ran through pretty much everybody he's faced. He almost retired. I think he's basically retired Luke Rockhold, to be honest with you. Probably. Uh, After that fight, Rockhold has never been the same. And even in his decision losses to Robert Whitaker, they have been one of the closest fought fights you'll see. Try saying that three times fast. And even the one he lost to Costa was another very close decision. I know Romero is on the other side of 40, and usually that's when you say fighters are on the downhill slide. In his case, no. I think he's going to come in this fight ready to go, and he's one of the most feared fighters in the middleweight division. So that being said, let us flip the coin to Israel Adesanya and the Anderson Silva-like run he has been on because every time I see him fight, I think that he is the next coming of Anderson Silva. He does win fights by knockout. He's not afraid to go in there and scrap with anybody. He goes in to do some business, and he definitely goes with evil intent. And I do like seeing him fight, in especially his fight against Calvin Gaston where he won the belt was obviously – one of the best fights of that year in 2019. He has always been one of the most exciting fighters to watch just on his style. And obviously defeating Robert Whitaker when he you know unified the belts because Whitaker was out with injury and he was the interim champion at the time. This is where he is really wanting to make a statement. Now, he could have waited for a fight against Costa, which would have made some sense too. But he wanted to stay active, and this is why he's taking the fight with Romero. I think that this is going to be his toughest challenge to date. That obviously when he fought Anderson Silva, Anderson Silva is on the back end of his career. Let's be honest. Yeah. Fighting Romero and defeating Romero would solidify his status as one of the best fighters on the planet today. He's obviously been on a great roll, and I can't take anything away from him. But if he finishes Romero in this fight, (coughs) he definitely shoots up that division and shoots up that talk of being a very dominant champion. Because after this fight, the only contender that really is jumping at me that could get the fight once he's healed up is Costa. Costa is currently injured, I believe, with a bicep injury. After that, the middleweight division is kind of open fair game. I know Darren Till is hovering around there. I don't know if he's exactly the guy that is going to be the next contender in that weight class because he's just pretty much got punch and power and that's it. And other than that, I mean, it's kind of open fair game. I know that there has been talk about doing a super fight with one John Jones. And I know that that is going to be a hot topic should he win Saturday night of how soon can we make that fight happen. I don't know necessarily know if I want to see that happen right away, to be honest. I just think that he is such a young champion that he needs to definitely stay in his division and be dominant for a while. 
I know that the soonest I think I'd like to see this fight happen is in another year because I don't think that it should happen anytime soon. When you have champions that jump up weight classes before they've really planted their feet in the ground, they usually get knocked out, and especially John just sitting there waiting. John is a seasoned veteran at this time. There's no question of that, and I think that if they make that fight, he'll definitely run right through Adesanya because, like I said, the rest of the division is kind of wide open for middleweight right now because after Costa comes back, you got Jerry Cognier, you got Till, you got Hermanson if you if he wants to really go that route. I mean, Calvin Gastelum could make another run too. So there is some kind of waiting to see what could happen. But if he wanted to step up and go to light heavyweight, I just necessarily don't necessarily know if that's the right route. I would like to see some light heavyweights maybe come down and contest him for Adesanya should he win. But that's going to be after Saturday night and what happens there. So if I have to make my prediction about this, <coughs> I am going to go with Adesanya. Now, the fact that he has the fighting style that he wants this fight with Romero, I applaud him win, lose, or draw because nobody wants any part of Romero. But he's going to have to really fight smart. He's going to have to establish distance. He's going to have to make sure his striking, he's in and out to really throw it off because if Romero can pinch him up against the cage and definitely work a clinch, work some wrestling, Adesanya is going to be in problems. This is going to be... To a lesser degree, in the same vein of Anderson Silva versus Chael Sonnen, with the fact that Romero can actually throw hands and has devastating knockout power. He's a great wrestler should he go that route with it. We haven't really seen too much Adesanya is going to match up there. But if Adesanya is the real deal, which, I mean, hey, if you stop Robert Whitaker, who I've gone against every time on this podcast, nothing against him, but Whitaker has always been the most deceptive fighter in all of the UFC. He's definitely earned that respect from me that Adesanya has to establish that game plan. I could see this going to be a decision, and that's where I'm going to go with that. I will see this going split, too, and I wouldn't doubt an immediate rematch happening with this. And I'll even give you a prediction that Adesanya will take this, and I think the third round will be the X factor in all of this. So that being said, if he wins, Coach, let me ask you, do you want to see Adesanya jump up and fight John Jones, or do you think he should stay back? I mean, I still want to see Jones versus uh, two. Uh, who did you Reyes? Just fight? Reyes, yeah. I want to see that fight before I see John fight anybody else. I know the money is going to be in the Adesanya fight, but, I mean, guy fights at 185, you know, cuts down to get to 185. On fight day, you know, maybe at best if he fights up at 205, he's going to weigh 205. You know, John on fight day is probably going to weigh 210, 215. So, I mean, or maybe even 220. I don't know. I mean, depending on how many pounds he can put back on. So, it's like, do I really want to see, you know, that type of fight? Or would I rather see a guy that pushed John to his limit? i kind of rather see. I know the money is in Adesanya. I think I'd just rather see him, you know, take the fight that's going to push him to a limit. Pat, how about you? Stay in your lane until you establish yourself. Yeah. No, I, I fully agree about that. I know that there's so much hype, and I know that John is feeding into it, too, because he likes to get on him on social media. I think that's a twofold thing, too, because I think he sees the dollar signs in it because, I mean, obviously he's beaten everybody in the you know light heavyweight division. B, I think that he knows that if he fights Reyes again, that he might not come out as the victor. So, I mean, it's tough. It, it's a very tough call. I mean, like I say, I, I think he he's – Gonna have to kind of see how the cards all all play out there because there's so many different ways this fight can go for him. 
that Adesanya definitely just needs to worry about his own ticket right now. And if he doesn't worry about his own ticket, it's going to be a quick night. It's not like he can go sleep on Romero because Romero is going to come in there. <laughs> Romero has gone the distance and fought fights like this before. This is just going to be a test if this kid's the real deal or not. I think he's got all the potential in the world to make this happen. But if he doesn't pull this fight off, then it's all for nothing. Because after this fight, going up to fight John at 205, I think would be a really, really bad look. And to see how the rest of you know light heavyweights are looking. I mean, Blackowitz is going to go fight John. Or actually, it's Blahovitz. I always mispronounce his name. Is going to fight John next. That's pretty much all been locked up. And but you know the UFC has been known to skip fights like this when they have a promise, you know, a premise to do this. So for Blahovitz to fight John, that makes sense. Reyes to fight Santos when they come back, that makes sense. Adesanya to fight Costa, I think is the fight that should happen. I think Costa should get the fight against Romero or Adesanya, whoever wins on the fight night on Saturday. But it's going to be definitely a fun night of fights to watch. So ESPN Plus, if you're in the states or wherever you watch your MMA action. So who you got for the fights this weekend? UFC 248. We're going to be watching down at Dragon Master Games with our friends over at 3 Fat Nerds. Shout out to Rich Ron and hashtag Big Natty Cool Diesel, who is now on Twitter, Coach. I don't think you know about this. I did not know about that. Diesel, Diesel has his own Twitter account. That's at, scary. At Big Natty Cool. So you can definitely find him, interact with him. And like I say, he's not behind a paywall, folks, but he can definitely give you that con- that content all on Twitter, so definitely. But hit us up, though, on Twitter first before you do it, at OD Parlay Hour. Who's your picks for this weekend? UFC 248. We want to know. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Johnny Moose from Excite Wrestling, and you're listening to the ODPH. I didn't mess it up. I thought I would. Right now, back to the guys. Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. Pat, kick us off with that local minute. Well, local minute, of course, we're talking some Binghamton Devils hockey news. Looking at their games from this past week, it was a good set of games for them. Uh, they had a home game on Friday against the Hartford Wolfpack, where they won by a final score of 5-3. to three. Stayed home on Saturday and played the Toronto Marlies, where they won by the final score of 5-4. to four, Where, if I read the Twitter account right, they had a crazy, like, the what is it toronto thought they scored like the buzzer on saturday and they had to review it and it came back that they didn't score so the place went absolutely bonkers to the point where the twitter account said omg uh, this place is going nuts yeah uh and then on sunday they traveled up to bridgeport to play the sound tigers where they won by the final score of one to zero so they got a nice three game winning streak going on uh looking ahead to the games they got this coming week they've got a game at home this friday against the uh penguins game time 705 uh, they stay home again on Saturday to play the Lehigh Valley Phantoms, game time 4.05 p.m. Uh, and then Sunday, March 8th, they travel down to Wilkes-Barre to play the Penguins, game time 3.05 p.m. A lot of early game times here for the Devils. Hmm. Uh, more information, BinghamtonDevils.com. Coach? Bulldogs. Yes, the Bulldogs were in action this past Saturday. I actually was in attendance with my 10-year-old sitting behind the bench. Uh, you can see me here actually in the video clip screaming. I was very vocal as I was challenged because I was sitting in the chirp section apparently that they didn't think that I could bring the noise. Who doubted you? I brought it. A, a friend of mine that goes uh, to the gym that I go to was like, hey, before the game, I want to let you know we get pretty rowdy over here. And I said, 
let me sit down. Let me show you how it's done, son. Does he not know what you bring to the Bulldogs when oh, you show up? Oh man, I, have they forgotten about Syracuse? I mean, I, I we weren't audible there. I mean, that was too loud to even get anything that I said through oh, to the players. Man. But I mean, I definitely made my presence felt. Had a nice, lovely interaction with one of the referees at one point, <laughs> um, as he called a travel on the you know James Harden step back, and I as he was running down the court yelled at him, "Have you ever seen James Harden? Have you seen James Harden?" Uh, Can't say I'm familiar. Yeah, well, it's a it's a beautiful little step back. Crushing loss, though, uh, as uh, the Bulldogs were up to in the final moments. Um, uh, the Harlem underdogs were able to inbound the ball, uh, bring it right up court, and uh, missed a shot. Bulldogs didn't get the rebound. Another attempt at the rim missed. Then somehow it got slapped out to the three-point line. Robert Ori-esque wide-open three-pointer. Boom. With six seconds left to go, uh, Cartwright didn't have enough time to get it off court to get a shot off, and your Bulldogs lose 199 uh, up-and-down game for the Bulldogs. A tough loss going into um, uh, going into you know uh, the playoffs here. They're, they have their regional playoffs coming up, which they have said that they're going to enter, um, which is interesting considering that they have an uh, automatic bid. But they uh, are going to play through the playoffs just to see maybe you know if they qualify in that way, or you know just to get a berth that way. I wonder if it's almost like due for playoff seating. That that's it, gotta be something. It's a little. It. It's a little bit of that. It's also a little bit of if they can make a run in the playoffs, that they might be able to boot one of the top two teams, uh, Syracuse or Wyoming, out. So a little bit of a strategic play here as well. Um, so. It'll be interesting to see what happens there. Uh, they're promoting right now uh, to get your AB8 Elite 8 tickets uh, and All-Star tickets. That event starts on April 15th, so a few weeks away. Obviously, they don't know about playoffs just yet. Their last game is an away game here, uh, which is just buried on their Facebook page. It looks like they play March 7th against the Elmira Eagles in Elmira, so that's going to be a tough game. Um it's very important when uh, the, the Bulldogs are going to need going into the regional playoffs. Yeah, because I expect that you're going to be having some announcing of seedings uh, coming up March 9th, I believe. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that I'm reading here. Oh, it looks like they play Sunday, March 8th, is their final game against Wyoming Valley Clutch, the number one overall seed in all the ABA. So, so it'll be like almost selection Monday on Monday, March 9th. Yep. So next week as we record the podcast, we'll definitely have all the information on that. It's going to be interesting to see how the Bulldogs are going to be doing being the host team like and how that kind of works in the playoffs. I, I just The inconsistency that this team plays with is just really, really crazy. I mean... Uh, in the first quarter and the second quarter, Derek Hart was the featured offensive player, which he's pretty been pretty much been all year. Um, and then uh, the underdogs went to a two-three zone, which uh, uh, the Bulldogs made a nice adjustment by going to uh, running, you know, uh, um, uh, overload against the two-three zone by putting two people, you know, on one side of the court. Unfortunately, you know, they just—it's just—it's crazy to me because I mean. The way to beat a 2-3 zone is just move the ball and be mm. quick and efficient with it, getting somebody in the high post who has good vision, uh, getting able to, to uh, make the defense collapse to be able to kick it out to a shooter. And I mean, uh, the 2-3 zone forces you to make jump shots, and if you're not making jump shots, 
then it's going to be a long night. I mean, that's why Syracuse has been able to be successful by running it. And unfortunately, the Bulldogs uh, did not shoot the ball very well down the stretch. I mean, I'm pretty sure uh, Monty Anderson, who is normally Money Anderson, if you will, uh, missed his first like wide open five three pointers. Um, so that's a tough break for them. But again, it's just an adjustment that they need to make. You know, once the shots fall, obviously this is a different game. You know, being that it was only a one point game, so. Right. And, um, you know, yeah, it will be interesting to see how this team plays um, come the playoffs. Again, they're just so up and down. I mean, you have that team that beat Syracuse by, I mean, they ran them out of the gym by like 20-ish points. Yeah, something like that. So then you come back on the flip side of this and you play a Harlem underdog team, which, you know, what I would say was the underdogs, you know, with uh, not even being ranked in the – or they are ranked in the top 20, but, you know, not – uh, great record. They, they short were, yeah, they weren't yeah, huge and, up on the list there. And, uh, you know, then they come out and put up this dud of a performance, and that's the second time now that they've had, you know, I know Oneana beat Syracuse early on in the year too, but, you know, that's another performance of against a team that you need to win, and, you know, they, they come up short. So I know Reggie um, Hawkins made some adjustments to the starting lineup, which were interesting, starting both bigs mm. and uh, taking Ralph Bucci out of the starting lineup, which I think hurt when the team went into the 2-3 zone because uh, both him and Derek um, take up similar playing spots as far as being big centers. So Ralph being in there would have been another, you know, ball handler, guy able to move the ball. You know, you know, him in the high post would be deadly, similar to how, you know, Duke put R.J. Barrett uh, in the high post against mm. Syracuse that game at home, you yeah. know, and he was just killing them from that. You know, that's Ralph's spot. That is his, that is his cup of tea right there. And, you know, they unfortunately sat him, and Joel Patch had another, you know, double-double as he will. But, again, I mean, it's something that they need to solve because if a team goes to a 2-3 zone and jump shots aren't falling, Bulldogs will be in trouble. They're going to need to make some quick adjustments. But for more information on that, uh, check out the Binghamton Bulldogs on Facebook. Yes, I'm gonna give active. That yes, it's very, very active. So if you want the latest going on there, especially for all the deals going on for the ABA Elite Eight tourney coming to town. Yeah, and beyond the, the I mean, it's right around – I mean, I didn't realize how soon it was. April yeah. 7th is right around the corner. So. Yeah, we're less than a month away now. Yep. Give take. So definitely more information on that. Facebook.com slash Binghamton Bulldogs. And we'll go from there with that. So to round out for me, though, got to talk local, got to talk Excite Wrestling – yeah. This Saturday. Saturday, Saturday, Saturday. Yes, they are returning to the X for the big eight-year anniversary show. Have you believe it's eight years? Can you believe it? It's no. Hard to, hard to believe. It's crazy. It's, I, time flies. Yeah, it's absolutely crazy to see but what Team Moose and company have in store. Kicking off events down at the Binghamton St. Patrick's Day Parade. They're going to be in a float. Uh, no idea what they're going to do. But I would advise you, come with your video cameras, come with your cell phones, ready to record, because Moose and Excite are going to be running crazy through there. I just have visions of Animal House, <coughs> and if you've ever seen that movie, the Delta Frat house I mean, coming down there. Excite Wrestling plus a lot of drunk local people is a Molotov cocktail. Yes, it's going to be must-see footage if you're not in the 607 area, so definitely check out Excite wrestling is media links for that but then later that night doors open five o'clock bell time six at the x the eighth anniversary show big time big time matches going on let alone from heroes hideout they are sending down 
the WWE's uh, alumni legendary tag team Demolition. Hey, Action Smash are gonna be doing autographs. So that is brought to you by Heroes Hideout. And then once you jump right into the card, your main event is Stockade versus LSG. You know him from Ring of Honor. He's been a local staple coming through the Excite ranks. The Excite International title is going to be defended. Anthony Gangon is defending against WWE alumni Gangrel. Oh, my God. I didn't know that was happening. He just added that a couple days ago. And there's an Excite grudge match. The Dying Breed, Axel Lennox and Rob Cook are going to an HC Loke. Dude, you blew my mind with this Gangrel thing. Yep. Oh, my God. Oh, Moose is pulling out all the Did stops Moose for this pull, one. Can he get the stage? He has not told me. Oh, my God. He, he, announced, he announced this on the wrestling show I do with Rich on the 3FN Network. So if he could get yeah. the whole thing with the fire and the whole gimmick. I don't know if they could do fire. At the no, they, could, they wouldn't be But maybe. To. But this match is going to be fire, though. The Dying Breed and H.C. Loke are going to be taking on Sean Carr and two mystery partners. And to confirm the rumor, it is not Demolition. I did, Moose did confirm it was not Demolition Wrestling in this oh, match. Oh, darn. Yes, because that was go- <laughs> that was actually getting asked. Uh, Infinity and Beyond are wrestling at the Dark Orders from AEW's John Silver and Alex Reynolds. Uh, they got so many other matches going on. So for more information on that. Is ex- the Exalted one going to be there? He could be or she Ooh. could be. We don't know. Wonderful. We'll have to kind of wait and see what happens there. But for more information on that, ExciteWrestling.com for all your information, especially if you want to get tickets. It's not too late to jump in because you definitely don't want to miss this show. So let's round these bases and take it home. Pad, what you got? Got a couple of things. Something you need to circle on your calendar. Uh, circle the date of June 1st. Uh, that is something to check out because I uh, was looking around on ESPN today and I was shocked to see Princeton's Class Day uh, speaker. Now, this is not their commencement speaker. This is just somebody they're bringing in to speak to the class. It is, however, one day before their commencement. Uh, in the years past, they've had New Jersey Senator Cory Booker and then uh, Princeton alumnus Ellie Kemper speak. Uh, this year, they're having one beast mode. Come Ooh. in and speak at Princeton. So Marshawn Lynch in a public forum with an open microphone is going to be video gold. Count your chickens. Yeah. Count your chickens and bring the Skittles because that is going to be video gold. So circle, circle your calendars for that one because that's going to be absolutely hilarious. Amazing. Yeah. No, that's going to – Marshawn Lynch in Princeton. Like, you've sold me already on that one. Uh, talking a little baseball now uh, – Reigning NL MVP uh, Christian Yelich is close to signing a uh, extension with the Milwaukee Brewers uh, in the neighborhood of about $215 million. That's not the big story, though. If you look up the 2017 Miami Marlins, of which uh, Christian Yelich was a member of, that outfield featured Christian Yelich and Giancarlo Stanton and Marcel Ozuna. So two-thirds of that outfield will be making about $400 million that the uh, Miami Marlins once owned. So, I mean, good thing the Marlins aren't paying them because then they wouldn't have a team anymore. You I'll, know tell you, I'll tell you this, though. Even if you're a casual baseball fan, look up the 2017 Marlins team because there's some good players that were on that team that are now not there. I mean, that's what they do, though. That's true. That's what they do. Yep. Win a World Series and then ship everybody off. And then off. fold. And, yep. it, and if we're talking some money, I guess we have to kind of give a quick shout-out to Tony Romo, who just got yeah. 17 mil a year yeah. from CBS. Like 10 years. On, 10 Does year. a good job. Does yeah. a great job. Yeah. Who would have thought? I, I saw a poll that was, you know, do you watch games because Tony Romo is broadcasting yes or no? And I wanted to add a third option to that of do I not watch the games? If Tony Romo is broadcasting, it. I mean, if I got a if I got a choice between Joe Buck and Troy Aikman or Tony Romo, I'm choosing Tony Romo. Right. I mean, I obviously, I for me, it's like 
I don't seek the games out if Tony Romo is broadcasting, but I'm definitely not going to not watch mm-hmm. if he is. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, if it's a decent matchup and the Giants aren't playing at the same time, right. I'll watch that game. Right. Yeah, he's turned into one hell of a commentator. But I want to thank CBS for doing this because that gives us one more year of Booger McFarlane on ESPN, hopefully. I mean, that's so, if they can't talk Peyton into it. Well, let's hope not. I yeah. want one more year, baby. Bring back the Booger Mobile. Oh God! I just I can't. I, whether he's on the sideline or whether he's in the booth, baby, just one more year, Booger, please. Oh uh, no, no, no! I, I, I can't. I'm sorry. I think my favorite Booger game that we watched, uh, and we were actually uh, together, was the uh, playoff game. Yep. Oh, that God. we watched where we couldn't actually hear what he was saying. Oh God! Yeah. <laughs> I have to say that I agree with that. Completely. Watching him on mute was the best way to watch him. Oh man, he's tough. He's tough. Yeah. Uh, for my round in the base, because I'll go a little quick because I just have a quick blurb, follow up uh, about a story that we did last week, which was the Deontay Wilder-Tyson Fury oh, yeah. rematch. Uh, and then obviously the uh, armor gate, I guess we can call it, is, uh, was he really weighed down by the costume he wore to the cage, or to the ring, rather, uh, has been announced by ESPN's Dan Raphael that they are going to do the trilogy fight July 18th at the MGM Grand in Vegas. Sure. Well... So. Maybe he'll just not. You know what he should do? Come out in nothing. Yeah. A robe. That's what I said last week. Come out in a robe with no music. Yeah. Well, uh, you got to have music. But no, that's what I said. That's what I said last week. You want to show that like you're not playing around. You're not screwing around. Come down in a robe and just look pissed off. No, just come out to nothing. Come, come out to, to a robe and nothing. Come out to. Just uh, real, like Tomasa Champa style. style. Just nothing. Well, yeah. And just be like, I'm dialed the fuck in. He's going to need to be because, like, we Pat and I went deep diving about this. I know you were in Chicago last week. That this was just uh, the crazy idea that he was weighed down by the forty-five pound costume and his legs were gone by the time he walked to the ring. Hey, man, that's a long walk. You ever have additional forty-five pounds on you? As a man who uh, I, I I can attest to this, I did a work, uh, you know. So I I dabble in the CrossFit gimmick, and I had lost at one point uh, twenty pounds. And we had a workout where we had to run with a 20-pound ball. And the difference in running with that extra 20 pounds on was hard enough. So I couldn't imagine a 45-pound suit to that ring. Yeah, but would you wear it if you know you had a box? Listen, I mean, it's all about the gimmick, man. I mean, it's I gotta, pageantry, Ken. Come on. I got to appreciate Baron Corbin used that as jokingly as the uh, reason why he lost to Roman Reigns last week in Saudi Arabia. Like, does, I appreciate that. Does Undertaker not take 45 minutes to get to the ring? Does he need to Dep- take 45 minutes to get to the <laughs> ring? Hold on, hold on. Hold on. It depends. Is there Druids or no? I mean, if there's it, Druids, yes, there's 45 minutes. If there's not, yeah, we may be talking 30. I mean, he should be riding a little rascal down, but here we are, wa- letting him waddle down to the ring. It takes him about 45 minutes, but he gets there. Uh, bring it, bring back the bike and bring back Limp Biscuit. They're not doing anything these days. Does Goldberg need to take seven-minute matches but a 25-minute entrance? No, but here we are. We'll see if he wears 45 pounds Just of, saying. of, of a costume It's to all the about the pageantry. Well, this is true, so we'll have to see what they do July 18th for boxing, but to close out the basis segment... I am honored that I'm going last, as the WWE has Elimination Chamber coming up this Sunday, everybody. So after you get to watch Excite uh, and take that all in, the tremendous show that that will be, the WWE will be putting on some generic fill-in-the-blank pay-per-view on Sunday night, which is Elimination Chamber, which used to be... um, a fun pay-per-view, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, when yeah. it meant something. But now with WrestleMania coming up and two part-time champions. 
Well, and I know they got the women's elimination chamber match, but they've all whoop they do yeah. No, yeah, they've all but televised who they got winning that because, hey, Shayna Baszler's in the darn thing. It's like, oh, hey, we're just going to set up everything else, and you already know who's winning. Whoop-de-doo. Yeah, that's the thing. They've already telegraphed that ending. So, unfortunately, that's been basically ruined for us. And, I mean, no universal title, no world title, just. Yeah. No, just basically a glorified house show. Pretty much. I mean, Pretty the, the, much. the tag team elim- elimination chamber match might be fun because I, from the little I remember, you know, in years past they've done that. That was fun. Sure, that, that right. was fun to watch. I, I remember what was it the uh, almost said Lucha Brothers, but I know that's not them. Uh, Lucha Dragons. Yes, the one year they had that, they were doing crazy moves from off the top of the pod, off the top of the cage. You know, you, they'll have that'll be fun, and that'll be something to see. Well, the cage match will be fun. The elimination chambers, the the four cages inside or four pods holding wrestlers inside. And they do it kind of like almost Royal Rumble style and to yeah. a degree, and sure, it, it, war game it, style almost. Yeah, it's yeah. An, it's an impressive uh, figure to see when you actually see the match. But this one, like we said, this card has just been kind of a generic uh, house show, if you will. I mean, I guess I can run through the card quick. Uh, U.S. Championship title is supposed to be Andrade versus Umberto Carrillo. Andrade. Yep. Yeah, Andrade too. Nothing really right home about on this one. Andrade's back from suspension, so oh, I'm, maybe a four way him. Uh, who's the guy that he's running with right now? Garza. Garza, Umberto, and Rey Mysterio. Yeah. I love that for Mania. Oh, I see that. Wouldn't that be a fun four-way? Yeah. yeah. That'd be amazing for yeah. Mania. Running from Cain Velasquez. Hey. Hey. You never know. You never know. Next matchup, AJ Styles versus Aleister Black. No DQ. So. Hello, um, Taker running. Yeah, I'm going to go off the beaten path here, but it almost feels like they're setting up some sort of like Aleister Black Taker rub. Where oh. I almost see maybe it's going to be like Taker and Aleister Black versus the AJ OC. and the club. What if Taker comes out of the cat, the coffin at the start? Like, 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 just, for, like for like for Aleister's entrance, he comes out of that coffin like you know like Dracula in the movies. It just what feels if, what if like Taker? that because like why are they using Aleister Black <coughs> to feed AJ Styles to Taker? It just it almost feels like they're trying to set up Black to be in his corner. Like if he's not going to be his tag partner, at least be in his corner. To help fend off the the uh, club, I wouldn't doubt that they do that match on like Raw. I yeah. Th- well, what I think might happen is I think we're going to get a Taker running with us. Oh yeah. Because oh yeah. I think what's going to happen though is it's going to be a great match. We're going to be back and forth. Taker will run in, interfere, help out. Not that he needs it. Help Alistair get the win. And then AJ will come back. Oh, you screwed me out of my win in elimination. Yeah, that's AJ WWE does, this year. Though. I know AJ. Deserves better than oh, I, abs- I absolutely agree. Well, you know, I think not, and I shouldn't be saying so so negatively about Taker because I mean the, no, the ring work is there. It's just at this AJ at styles. this age he can't. I know, and it's like AJ should be doing something way up, way more up in the. Well, car. don't forget his first WrestleMania was him against uh, Chris Jericho, and he jobbed out to him. So. Hashtag Y two AJ. Right. I mean, I get it, and I mean he, and then the next year was Shane, and but that was a great match. I mean, yeah. I just. I think that AJ Styles shouldn't be the one getting fed. The only thing I would say with this is the WWE, especially Vince, holds the Taker match with such prestige yeah, that right. I'm sure that yeah. he's convinced AJ, which well, and, it's and, not an argument, though. I mean, 
is just I'm sure he's convinced how much of a prestigious match this is, and I'm and sure AJ Taker, realizes that. Taker calling well, him the modern day Shawn Michaels. Well, and if, yeah. I, and if I read correctly, Taker picked AJ. Yeah, yeah. Not, no, not, I just yeah. Taker called him the modern day Shawn Michaels. Yeah, so I mean, it's a huge honor for AJ yeah. to do this, and I understand at this age, it's just you, you don't have the Taker of old. Well, well, and, well you have right, an old Taker. Right. Well, and especially AJ has gone on record and said that you know the, the contract he just signed either the last year, whatever it is, is going to be the last contract he right. signs. Like he's you know so if he's ever going to get any possible dream matches out of his WWE career, now's the time to do it, especially but, with Taker getting up there in age. But not only just that, but it's like with that on the flip side of that and the AJ side of it, like the, how you know this is the last run, so it's like don't you want to use and get something out of him? That's I mean to me, it's just Taker. You know, I just I would rather him be in the title picture or hanging around it than fodder for Taker just so he can get, you know, a, a solid match in. Well, I think a lot has got to do with maybe Paul Heyman's vision of what he wants to do on the show. And AJ, I'm sure he will get worked in, but it's just a matter of time. I mean, yeah, I know. I just, it, you know, I just wanted to blow off some steam. I just, no, you're, I, I think he needs how better. How dare you have a take? I, I know. I just, you know, I just, ugh. Go ahead. What's next? All right. So next up is a rematch from this past Monday night. Street Profits, your tag team champions, are taking on the Monday night Messiah Rollins and his disciple Murphy. Meh. Yeah. Meh. This should be Street Profits. I expect more shenanigans from Kevin Owens, setting up for the eventual Owens versus uh, Rollins match at Mania. Yeah, I guess. And then maybe the Street Profits get AOP. That was just thinking that. That, that needs yeah. to happen at yeah. this stage. But I'm just happy that we have an actual tag team being the champs. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. I just, ugh. I, well, Seth I, and Kevin, you know, ugh. <laughs> I, I, get, I get what you're saying. So if you like that match, you might even like this one more. For your Intercontinental hey. title, your champion Braun Strowman is taking on the team of Shinsuke Nakamura, yeah. Cesaro, All right. and finally Sami Zayn is going to get make, lesser wrestle. Let's make them look strong. Yes. By having them job out to Braun in probably seven minutes. Probably. Yeah, I'm just kind of curious of where they're going to go with this direction. Knock him off the apron, running around knocking him into next week. Yeah, he's going to end up probably doing that super suplex to all three of them, having yeah. them on each other. I expect yeah. you'll see a big spot somewhere in this yeah. match, yeah. like a super like freakish spot. Like he'll, have, he'll have his typical freight train run around the ring. Dumb. Yeah, so Braun should win this one easy. I'm just yeah. happy we're going to see Sammy wrestle because when was the last yeah, time we saw him? Like two weeks ago, he was on SmackDown tag match. Don't get hurt. Really? Oh, wait, you're wrestling Braun. Yeah. Never mind. Yeah. Oh, I missed that one. Yeah. I must have been. Oh, I mean, oh, no, it I was, was him at, and Cesaro. I was at the Shout Out the Robot show. All right, yeah. that's why I missed that. Well, so, I mean, you made a right decision. Yeah. So let's get into our first of our rumored three chamber matches. Now, this one is going to be for the SmackDown women's number one contendership match, I think. Sure. So the only one that has been officially announced that has been reported is Lacey Evans because she made this, the comment about she has to go through five other women to get to WrestleMania. Whoops. So, yeah. This, so green. This, yeah. So, You're green, kid. So my early prediction, well, it was my early prediction, but I'm going to stick to my guns about this one. Okay. Beth Phoenix. All right. Is going to win. I know what happened Monday night with Randy Orton. But forget that. She's going to come out on NXT doing the announcing, and I don't doubt her just somehow winding up in that match on Sunday. Don't ask me how. We're just going to leave it to wrestling reasons. Sasha. Okay. Pad? Yep. Uh, I have no idea. Re- also wrestling reasons. Yes. Sasha. Just out of random yeah. bullshit. Yeah, because I mean, sure. until I see who's actually in this match, but I would imagine it's Carmella, Naomi, Sasha. Alexa Bliss, Sasha, and 
you know, mystery person Beth Phoenix. That, <laughs> you hope. Well, yeah. Otherwise, it's gonna look really bad for your prediction. You well, know, yeah. You know, at this stage, it, I we're we're at a week cold, out at cold takes. Yeah, <laughs> at a week out, we don't have the full listing of the match. Hey, all right. right. You know, like well, bar for the course. Yeah. Yeah. So the other or the next uh, elimination chamber match for your SmackDown tag team titles, Miz and Morrison, your champions. Yeah. How good is that? Against the New Day versus mm-hmm. Heavy Machinery mm-hmm. versus the law firm of Rude and Ziggler. That's, That's not actually their tag team name. Is no, it? but I'm giving it to them. Okay. 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 All right. I like that. Yeah. A little, maybe IRS in their corner. Ooh, there you oh, go. Maybe, uh, they got to do right. something with them because, I mean, they're just thrown together for reasons. Yeah. And it's like. Well, yeah. wrestling. Yeah. Miz, I'm Miz and Morrison. Somebody flip a coin and pick somebody for me. All right. You're getting. Heavy machinery. No, because Otis is going to wrestle <laughs> Dolph Ziggler. You said flip a coin. But no, because then I read the rumor that uh, Otis and Ziggler are going to be fighting over Mandy Rose in some stupid wrestling Oh the, yeah, it's... Carpaggio. I'm going to go with uh, Miz and Morrison. I'm going Miz and Morrison too, but I don't doubt Otis somehow running through the one of the pods and breaking one. Dumb. Yeah, because I'm Cause, sorry. Because he's got big belly, right? Yeah. Are you making a fat joke? Because that's mean. Otis is heavily plump. He's heavily plump, but he's going to do that and just win. He's, gonna u- he's probably going to use the belly to do it, too. Yeah, which I'm I'm so used to because I'm Team Otis, so it's like he's won me over, <laughs> damn it. He's that mania, that rumble spot was still the all-time best. Yeah, he, mean, he's, that, so, he's so damn charismatic. Yeah, he really is. So, like, I like I, I hate the gimmick of heavy machinery, but, sure. I, but damn it, they've won me over. Like, I, I shouldn't like it, but I do. All right, well. And so, yeah. but You I, can like it for both of us, then. Uh, I just like the rumble thing. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> And let's get to the main event. Uh, which is it a world title match? No, it's the a universal one. title match. Nope. No, are any of those titles on the card? Nope. No. Huh. Nope. So this is like I say, it's a glorified house show. But this, okay. so weird. it's kind of weird how they're doing it this year. But you have Natty versus Liv Morgan versus Shayna Baszler versus Asuka versus Ruby Riot versus Sarah Logan. Winner gets Becky Lynch at the Royal Rumble. Uh, it's so, Shayna Baszler versus a bunch of people who are getting their Mania matches set up. Yeah. It, yeah, it's Shayna Baszler versus the field. Yeah, and it's Baszler's to win. I am just hoping, though, at the end of this, we get announced for Mania, not that night, the three-way match between the, the Riot squad. That's the only thing I'm hoping for this match. Okay. Because this is going to be Shayna's to win. This Right. Be- I mean, you don't have Shayna bite Becky on the neck and then Becky be like, I want a piece of her to then book Liv Morgan in this match. All right. So let me ask you. <laughs> no, no. I, I, I agree with you. The, the writing's on the wall for Baszler. But we were having this discussion with the three FN guys last sure. night in our chat. Becky Lynch came out. Has she transitioned her gimmick to Conor McGregor? Has she... Because she wasn't, so she came out in the fur coat, the shades, like she definitely didn't look like the man gimmick. So here's my thing with this: I don't understand it at all. Okay, that that's my answer there. I don't get what they're doing with Becky. I I saw that on Monday where she came out in that, and then I think she had a long yellow coat. I thought it was a yellow fur coat. Yeah, yeah. So I and the glasses, that whole thing, my future so bright thing. I mean. I don't. I think that they're like kind of stuck with a rock and a hard place between her because the man thing has slowed cool. down oh, as yeah. she hasn't had anybody to really like, you know, Twitter beef with, you know. So the honeymoon phase of the busted nose and all that stuff has gone away. <laughs> she hasn't had an equal on Raw in months that like people really. I mean, everybody loves Oscar because she kicks ass. Yeah. So like putting her with Oscar was probably the worst thing that you could have done because it cooled off all the the mojo that Becky had with the man thing. So um, 
I, yeah, I don't, I don't, I mean, she's a character that's in flux right now too. I mean, I almost pair her with Seth and just let him be the Monday Messiahs together. I'm all right with that. I, I just, I, at this point, just put her with them and just let them be the power couple of Raw and just do it, you know? I mean, but do it right this time where it's not like, I need to save my fian- my you know fiance because he's getting bullied, you know? Just have them run roughshod over Raw. Just yeah. let them do it. It would be heels. It would make a lot of sense to do sure. it. And they, need, and they need to do something at this point. I love Crazy Oscar though. Like the fact missed. And oh just yeah, the whole Amber. yeah the the Crazy Oscar thing is so sick. Yeah, that's one of my because I be- wrong. it's believable. Yeah, oh, like fully. you like absolutely believe. Like, is she a little nuts? Yes. Yeah. I, right? I mean, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I it was said, rhetorical, but yeah. All right, go <laughs> ahead, and answer that. Sure. No, no, absolutely. Like I think just her and that gimmick, I think works perfect. And I would love to see her have a program with Baszler after Becky gets done. Yeah. Yeah, just let those two go. Yeah, sure. Sign me up for that. I'll take that. It'd be an amazing thing to happen. Put that in a steel cage and just let him go. Just let him go. Heyman will do it. I know he will. Yeah. Thank God for Paul. Yes. Right? Paul Paul has improved that show a lot, except there's two angles that I, I can't stand right now. What hey, doing he killed Rico- the Rusev thing. Yeah. What he's doing with the ricochet. Yeah, that's weird. Which I, I have a feeling he's going to join Seth. No. I got All a, right. I got a feeling that this is where well, we're Well, I mean, the then it losses. gets Seth out of the tag team and puts maybe him and Murphy together. Yeah, so something, so. Could, something could happen there. And the stupidest thing, which I predicted on social media a while back, Roan was carrying that damn spider. Oh, whatever. Yeah. I, know, I didn't even pay attention to that. Hot garbage. Well, that whole thing with him carrying something is garbage. Thing. Yeah. Rowan should be an absolute monster on Raw. Yeah. Not carrying a spider. Oh, side note. If you haven't watched the Ruthless Aggression documentaries that are on WWE Network before you oh, cancel it, so before good. they take away the, the big five, and you cancel your network because you're like, I'm not going to pay $9.99, then pay $54.99 to get a top five pay-per-view, uh, watch those documentaries because they've been great. Yeah, they've been some of the best things you've seen on TV. Uh, they've been some of the best content that WWE's put out as far as documentaries probably in the last like five years yeah bar none pad any final thoughts on elimination chamber nope all right so that- all right hey pat jeez come we gotta wrap the show up here pat like my god with the hour-long takeover here on the pay-per-view pat is like my day quill is almost done i want to get out of here so that being said the music you heard on this episode is that of fair city fire they're friends from austin texas you can find out all about them on ochodoropalehour.com when you go over the music section you can check out them shout at the robots floodlands who just played a great show this past weekend you can find out about honker walking distance second suitor tom jolo who's going to be coming on the show sooner than later we just got to figure a timeout and also on the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour website, OchoDuroParlayHour.com, you can check out Parlay Points where we have a big announcement coming for the blogs in a couple weeks. So I don't want to spoil that just yet, but there's a little teaser on there if you want to go check it out. And you can go to the ODPH directory, which has been redone a little bit. So when you go there, you can find out about 8122 Productions. Shout out to Rich Ron and hashtag Big Natty Cool Diesel and everything going on with them in Horizon 607 and their Patreon, which is Love is Scary, which starting Wednesday for the month of March... They have new episodes dropping every day. Coach, I can't talk about this because I'm not behind a paywall. I know what they're talking about. I was given a preview. Your ears are not ready. Pad's ears are not ready. Ken, your plug of this show is top 10. Thank you, sir. They, they better be giving you a back rub or something for these plugs because they are tremendous. They appreciate this. And especially, yeah. this is not scripted. Too. Top shelf. Yeah, this, this is, is top shelf. One of these days, I'll just have to hook up the webcam and just do this live and everybody can see that I'm not reading a script. But for what they have coming, Derek does 
I don't even want to spoil or give anything that could get us kicked off because it is that hot of content. The only thing I can say is he's going for Dr. Drew, and there's more hashtags coming. That is the only thing I can tell you. But if you want to find out more, 8122productions.com. Sign up for the Patreon. $1 gets you in the door. $3 gets you a chair at the table. And you can find out everything going on there. You can also find out what's going on with the Hashtag 67 Podcast. Check out the Podchaser list. Friends of the show. So you can find out about Tom from Off the Cuff Gaming, who's going to be joining us for the BroomCon panel coming up May 2nd. We've got a little more information about that coming later this week. And you can find out about Excite Wrestling, who we've already plugged, and they got the big <laughs> show coming on this weekend. You can find out about Photography by Mike Blakesley. You can also check out our podcasting groups that we are in. We are in a lot of them now. We actually just got entered in a couple more. So shout out to Next Wave. Shout out to Pod Nation. Shout out to Legion of Independent Podcasts. And shout out to the Apocalypse community, which just got added. Shout out to our guy Brian from Cheers to Comics. He just formed that. That thing is a monster already out the gate. All that and much, much more, OchoDuroParleyHour.com, because that's all I got for this week. So for your coach, my coach, the coach, Coach Duffy. <sighs> I'm out of breath. Good night, and Good luck. For the one and only Padawan J. Go check out the video of Shaq's hairline for the Betty lost to D-Wade. My God. That's all Fair I'm going to say. Fair enough. I'm your host, Ken M. I don't have anything like that to say, but I'll just say thank you for listening to the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. See you next time. <laughs>